0: Hey there, everybody. It's finale time. It's review time. It's fun time. We are here, and we've got our usual crew at our usual time, and we've got a lot to talk about. Thank you all for joining us. Something we've said a million times, probably not literally, but maybe. No, <laughs> no not literally. We'll probably say again, though, is that the books and show are just such vastly different mediums. You guys know that, but it bears repeating, because it's interesting to note where those differences lie. You know, and the books have a lot more depth, they have a lot more detail that no show could even hope to match. Even if, you know, we got everything we wanted from Dave and Dan, they still wouldn't be able to match the level of detail of the books. It's just not possible. But the show has strengths that no book could ever hope to match. And I'm speaking to obvious things like acting, music, cinematography, things like that. And this episode had that in spades. I thought that it really played to the strengths of the visual medium. It gave the actors wide berth to do their thing. For example, the tension in the dragon pit. So much of that was body language, facial expressions, things like that. And that's, you know, no writer can capture that. No writer. Even George R. R. Martin, you cannot write those kind of looks that, say, Lena Headey gave to Peter Dinklage, in which he specifically said, Peter Dinklage, that is, said that the look... Flattened him, you know, and there's just no writing that sort of thing Our brains process the written word much differently than we process things like facial expressions And of course there's things like the undead dragon like that's just wow George if he ever writes an undead dragon, I mean, it's not a sure thing in the books It's no doubt gonna be amazing and the plot around it will be amazing, but there's still nothing like seeing it Side note, by the way, someone needs to write books that when you turn the page, music starts playing. Certain music is attached to certain aspects of the book. Cause that's just one of the things, especially in this episode, but consistently in Game of Thrones, the music just adds so much to a scene. Anyway, acting, music, and action are not exactly enough for us. You know, we're book fans first. We crave a good story. I thought it was, I thought it was solid in that regard, especially comparing it to their norms. But what, what about you guys? Welcome back, Radio Estros. Let's start with your first takes on the episode, just initial impressions. Uh, Lady Gwen, you go first.
1: Um, I was very pleased about some of the character development, more so than in earlier episodes. Still, you know, as always, there's still missing some things, but overall, um, I like the storyline.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back here again, and hopefully we're going to have you be part of some of our Postseason season adventures and i know you guys just put out a new episode yourself so yoke boy give us your first thoughts on the episode but also tell everyone about your new radio westeros episode that just came out
2: okay thanks aziz uh, i i thought it was a, a big improvement on last week there was some some human moments that i really liked you know I feel like as it's as as the series is going on, it's getting more about the kind of effects and stuff. But in this episode, there were some really nice humor moments, and it it was great to see. So you know, overall, I was pretty pleased. But like Lady Gwyn says, you, you know, there's a, a few things that that uh, could have been improved. I think.
0: All right, and how about that uh, new Radio Westeros episode?
2: Yeah, we got a new episode, War of the Five Kings. Don't go there now. Go there in three hours or four hours or however long it takes to do this recording. But yeah, on your commute if, if tomorrow a, morning or whatever.
0: Yeah, sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But not this if, moment if, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> if you're an insomniac, we got you covered tonight. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's
0: for sure. And speaking of, I'll be, I'm pulling a double tonight, the equivalent of a YouTuber double, which is after this episode, I'll be jumping on raw Risk stream to do a lot of the same things but it'll be a different group different kinds of things will come up we'll have a good time so if y'all don't haven't gotten sick of it jump join us over there afterwards or join me and the other us over there afterwards that'll be fun okay so yeah very excited to hear about your new episode and you know we're going to be continuing like i said we're going to have some more episodes after the season like we always do we're going to have some guests on and frankly this is more important than usual because there's so many things to cover this episode was so long and it says so many things about next season so i don't know there's just a lot to say so we'll this will probably be an extra long stream but yeah what was your what are your first takes on the episode
3: um i liked the episode i wondered and i'll talk about it more later how much my impression was colored by knowing a lot of these spoilers for what was going to happen here. For instance, Sansa and Arya being a setup. I didn't feel this sense of stress about things going south there because I knew it was a setup, and so I, I still got that satisfaction. So I don't know if my opinion is slightly skewed by my, by the spoilers.
0: It's, it probably would be, but it's good to get, um, you know, takes from people who approach the material in a different way, you know, because a lot of other people... Were aware of some of the, you know, maybe even without watching leaked episodes, they looked at the scripts or something like that, kind of like you did.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: that, you know, there's other people I'm sure who are watching today or who will listen later that were in the same boat as you. So it, it has a different effect when you kind of know certain things that are happening. Hmm. So let's see here. We still have our... We still have our a GRM box giveaway going on. We've given away three of them, and there's still two more to go. So it is not too late. If you're already entered, no need to do anything. Your name is still in the drawing. If you haven't entered, it's Westeros History Giveaway at gmail.com. That's the email. Put your subject as giveaway. And, you know, it's funny. We didn't know this would happen, but we've been getting emails from people, and, and people don't want to just say giveaway and leave it blank. They've been saying things... Very nice things to us.
3: Yeah, so we've got about a 1,000 emails from you guys to go through because we want to read them all, but we haven't been able to. You know, Game of Thrones season is so difficult, but we'll be able to soon.
0: Yeah, so thank you, everybody, for that. Appreciate the kind words, and we will keep the content coming. Certainly after the season, we aren't going to be putting out three episodes a week after the season, but we will be putting out a lot of content, more live streams, scripted episodes will be returning, starting with Blackfish, and moving on from there, Aziz versus chapter. We've got the crypts of Winterfell. We've got Bloodraven. We got a lot coming, folks. It's going to be great. And of course, we have Sons of the Dragon, some actual new new material to delve into as well. So the party doesn't stop when the season ends. It just changes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So thanks to all of our patrons who enable us to. Be spending so much time podcasting. Thanks also to Radio Westeros' patrons. Thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, history of Westeros' first sword. And thanks to our Dragon Rider patrons. Mazzala Cartho is written by Lord Mark of House Joseph. That's a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. So also thanks to Talanis the Talon, king of Gagasos, rider of Talarius, red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. And Jinx of House Lear, green queen of the Rainwood. Uh, Rider of Erogenia, a sylphic albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings, and sender of large amounts of packages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that, go, that, that covers the announcements. We had a couple of Super Chats sent already. The first one was from Jessica Pick, and that was more of a shout-out, so thank you for that, Jessica. And we appreciate that. Also from Waxed Paper Door, who says, hey guys, joining you from Northern Ireland for the first time. Well, thanks for that. Always cool to hear from people in different places. Ireland, I think, is about the fifth or sixth um most, the place that watches us like fifth or sixth. I think it's US, UK, I think Canada, I think Australia, I think Ireland is, is fifth or sixth. So we do get a decent amount of, uh, of the Irish here. And I am about three quarters Irish myself. You couldn't tell by my name, but... I am wearing green.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I got the hypno on the iron throne here, in case no one could catch that. Uh, I, I, you know, ashaya has got this awesome targ dress too, which you know mm-hmm. kind of makes me look like a schlub. But
4: <laughs> I, I always happen standing next
0: to Asha. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, the question continues from wax paper door. Do you think Jamie's break with Cersei in the show more satisfying because it took so long from a book reader's point of view? And if not, why not? Well. It's. It was glad, it it was kind of a relief because it looked like it wasn't going to ever happen. It was like, man, Jamie's just going to stick with her. So I don't know if it was more satisfying, but it was more relieving because, you know, and and of course it hasn't actually, it's kind of happened in the books. I mean, he burned the letter, but he hasn't totally gone against her yet. You know, so it's kind of unclear. Cersei isn't even aware that Jamie's. you know, didn't, you know, threw her letter in the fire and went off to look for Brienne. (laughs) So what about you guys? What do you think about, um, this, this moment. I know that, uh, Lady Gwen, in particular, you were perhaps the most frustrated of all of us about Jamie's arc, but.
1: Yeah, I had pretty much given up on, <laughs> on this ever happening. So it was, as you say, it was a relief. I'm very pleased to <laughs> it. We'll see what happens next.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And this is one of those things, right? I've been talking about how there's we're going to focus on what just happened and not too much on what's coming because we've got more time to cover what's coming later. And there's so much of it. I mean, we could talk for two hours just on what Jamie might do in the North, how people might react to him. But the fact that he has a Valyrian steel blade that he's going North with, that, if you know, there's so much to say about that, but it's going to take us just, you know, this stream just to cover how it happened and, you know, let alone what's coming next. So you know, this episode being so long is presenting us with some fun problems. Uh, super chat from Acre Frey.
4: Mm-hmm. You can read that.
0: It says, so you have three quarters of an Irish wrist. <laughs> you That's have three quarters of an Irish wrist watch. <laughs> Just kidding. Hope you're prepping for a four hour stream. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this plus the raw stream after I'll be streaming for a while. I think this one will probably not go longer <laughs> than three hours. But hey, if we <laughs> do, we do. It, it's possible.
3: You hear that, Yelp boy? Are you stoked?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we... We got 1,000 live viewers on Monday, which if you guys have been following our show-only streams, that means we got Sean to dance, which actually happened. We have a video of it, and it's going to be a, a more full version later. That was the impromptu version that we posted. And Yoke Boy apparently is going to drink some Earl Grey tea if we get to 1,000 tonight, which is, whoa, like that's... Whoa. that's
2: far out you know i'm pushing i'm pushing it I, I think i'm a little bit i'm a little bit more reserved than sean we are english over <laughs> here you know we, Can uh, but but i'm i'm for real shit just got real <laughs> earl
0: gray for real this isn't earl black or earl white because that's not how george r, r. martin
2: writes things this is earl gray <laughs> <laughs> I'll even put two tea bags in one cup just so you can all see <laughs> Slow me. Off my head. down, man. This is. One <laughs> cannot
0: keep up with this. <laughs> what do we have here? No super chat? Super chat from Emma Smith.
3: No question. I just realized I haven't actually attended the Book to Show stream live and wanted to show my appreciation for Radio Westeros, too. Well, yeah. thank you, Emma Smith. Thank, thank you. you.
0: That's right. Just in case y'all missed the earlier announcements, all super chat revenue is split 50 50 with Radio Westeros. So supporting the us supports them as well. So. If your
3: boy drinks the tea, he gets seventy five.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
3: <laughs>
0: I mean if he's gonna put that much if he's gonna go that far, he's he only he's he's earned it, right? <laughs> it's it'd be like compensation. Yeah. <laughs> wow. If you're gonna give you if we're gonna give you that much of a hangover, you may as well be worth your while. <laughs> so the our after-season live streams will, at least the first couple, will come at the usual times. Monday at 7 and Wednesday at 6. Those are, of course, our Eastern Standard Time. And we'll be announcing who our guests are going to be over the next couple of days. So check our social media for that. Or just show up and be surprised. <laughs> so let's start with King's Landing... I've divided King's Landing into a few different sections because mm-hmm. there's, you know, kind of the pre and post and during. So we'll talk about before the Dragonpit meeting first. We'll start with Bronn and Jamie on the battlements where they're intimidated mm-hmm. and there's great music accompanying this moment.
3: No wonder they were intimidated with that music playing. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's action
0: music. We better watch out. <laughs> And there was a funny, kind of a funny conversation that had a lot of serious undertones to it. You know, they were joking about it, it all comes down to penises or whatever. But really, but that was, that was kind of poignant. Like why, what motivates people to fight for their family or for gold or just why do people do the things they do? And, and also Bronn talking about how he loves it when people call him Lord. You know, I think then that has a little undertone to it too, because he wants that castle. He still wants that castle. And well, now Jamie's gone, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, More on Braun later What did you guys think about this scene in general?
3: I mean I thought the same thing you mentioned About the talking about how maybe it's all Cox in the end It made me think of all of the pop culture jokes About that in Game of Thrones Specifically South Park calling you out Because it was really inaccurate There really haven't been very many at all But I think this was maybe a pointed line at that
0: Yeah and less than it used to be too I mean the, the, the yeah. sex position In Game of Thrones has very much dropped off um, it was a big part of the earlier seasons. And as much as people us included love that they had book material to draw off before, they just seemed to just jam that stuff in there. and somehow moving past the books, they also moved past all the sex position, at least most of it. So that's cool. What about you guys? Uh, I know you had a, a thought on this, yoke, boy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, all all this talk talk about Cocks and everything the, the gods the gods of Tits and Wine will be happy. Um, my my thought was I I'd like to know, you know, what happened with the Unsullied. I was like really curious to know, yeah. you know, is is this one of the spin-offs, you know, Grey Worm walking? Yeah. yeah. I would love um, to see that be, journey.
3: You're right. Uh just how did they got from Casterly Rock to King's Landing? Eh?
2: It must have been a slog, you know,
0: difficulties trying to find food and all that, but you can oh. see how they made it. They're so Tough and strong, and Ugh. you know it's not a surprise that they got there. But yeah, we n- if no of talk Thron- of it at all. If Game
3: of Thrones ever had webisodes, I think they would have.
0: Oh yeah, that. they could do like animated webisodes. That'd be so cool. And it's interesting that that Jaime is the one discussing this because Jamie is least of all someone who thinks with his cock. You know that he just has never thought you know other than when it pertains to Cersei. But he's not a guy that is really driven by that. So that's kind of interesting, and that made him. An interesting uh, counterpart to Bronn who is you know has this soldier's attitude you know that all of them that's all they care about blah 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 so it was kind of neat to have those guys have that convo and then just as intimidated as Jamie and Bronn may have been by the Unsullied and Dothraki we have them sailing into King's Landing with Euron's fleet just sitting there like um, yeah that's kind of scary <laughs> <laughs> And that was really—we showed it on Monday. The shot of the Red Keep with the ships behind it—that is, that is one of the most. That's maybe the best shot of King's Landing we've ever seen. And there's been some great ones. Maybe it's matched by the King's Landing in the snow later. That was really good too. So, uh, Lady Gwen, you had some uh, some thoughts on this scene?
1: What I thought it was funny. You know, remember this is John's first time seeing King's Landing, um, unless I'm missing something. Uh, he's sitting there trying to figure out how to, um, how, why people would choose to live in this place, how many people live there. There's more people there than there are in the entire North, um, at least according to show canon. And he just doesn't get it. And as a country girl born and raised, I could kind of relate. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs>
0: <laughs> as someone who's lived in both, I mean, I lived in, I've lived in Brooklyn and I've lived in the suburbs and... and- A lot of different places. It's definitely very different. I can I I like I both of them have their advantages, but you know I kind of I kind of like having a lot of space living in the suburbs.
3: Yeah, I had a similar thing. I'm from Hawaii originally. I'm from a very small island with like one town on the whole island, and I. And so when we go to you know when we go to the continental United States, it's called the mainland, the mainland, and you go there (laughs) and it's just like you could just drive and drive and drive and never reach the end. Whereas on the islands I'm from, like. Nothing is more than thirty minutes away, you know stuff like that. So I I could definitely relate with John being so baffled by this. And this is why
0: we wanted Tormund to come, yeah. So he could be like, "Whoa, (laughs) I just rode on a dragon, but this is really wow."
3: We got a super chat from Michael Lawrence Young. What did y'all think of the parallel between the Jamie Cersei split in conjunction with the incest of John and Danny? You think? (laughs) Uh, Martin will use a similar parallel. What do you think he is trying to express? Well, clearly there can't be more than a few minutes without incest. Yeah, that's it. There
0: was. That's what I t- I tweeted right after the episode. That Game of Thrones had about two, three minutes of no incest <laughs> before they jumped right back on the train. <laughs> From the very first episode, there's incest. I mean, and then it's just like pretty much the theme all the way through, and then they stopped, but then Danny and John got the train rolling again. I, I don't think George will do a similar thing because it looks like Jamie and Cersei are kind of done already in the books, and John and Danny are a long way from hooking up in the books at this point. They're st- I mean, Danny's still on the Dothraki Sea, and John is dead. <laughs> so. <laughs> So it's going to be a minute, so I don't know if those will line up as well, but he may find a way to connect it, you know, nonetheless, even though it may not line up the way I'm thinking. George is creative. We'll give him some some leeway. Let's talk about Cersei and Jaime before the meeting. Obviously, the juiciest stuff comes during and after, but there was some interesting moments before. You could kind of see especially if you rewatch it, you kind of get a sense of just how out of the loop Jamie is that he doesn't even realize it. And he start as he starts to realize that or is confronted with it, really, it it, it really affects his decision. It's a big part of why he leaves. So did you guys have any takes on this moment? I thought that maybe the most interesting part was Cersei talking about who to kill first.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Her, her order was interesting. Wasn't it? The silver haired bitch. Tyrion, then Sean I my feelings when she said that was just kind of um, she she really doesn't realize that Danny's gonna show up on her dragons <laughs> which I guess we can talk about that in a few minutes but that I thought it seemed obvious and just kind of missed that
0: yeah <laughs> we have another super chat yeah. here
3: from Danny Jeter how does the Iron Fleet avoid dragons passing Dragonstone five times?
0: Well, I think it's not nearly as I, I, close as people are making it out. I, I to don't me. think it's
3: nearly as close, and I don't think Daenerys is even trying to. She's not trying to close off to Blackwater Bay.
0: If Danny had better military advisors, this is something we talked about all season long. It's not bad writing; it's that she has bad military advising. Tyrion like admits that he really screwed up badly and not anticipating Euron attacking the fleet that was going to Dorne. And that just goes to show it's he's, he's inexperienced. And we've, we've been talking about all these. If Jorah had been there or Barristan had been there, it would be bad writing for them not to block off the dragons, you know, to, to <laughs> block off Blackwater Bay to have flying dragon patrols over. Of course, it would have to be Danny doing the dragon patrols herself, but she's more than capable of doing that. So, yeah, it's maybe, I think the books will probably go into greater detail with the strategic uh, aspects of these locations, but... Given that they've established Daenerys' military leadership is poor, I can buy that they just aren't mm-hmm. handling this that way.
3: So, move on.
0: Let's move on. We have Podrick and Tyrion. This is... Actually, no. First oh, we yeah. have Tyrion and Broad. This is a bevy of kind of short meetings, reunions, and, and cool stuff being discussed. It was really fun. Obviously, we wanted more. There were so many other meetings that could have happened. But I think by now we're all used to the fact that they just can't have a bunch of different conversations. And we're mostly just got to be satisfied with what they do, assuming they do some of it. And they did do a fair amount of it this episode.
3: Yeah. There was one conversation I wished we'd had as I saw this moment. I saw Brienne and Jon Snow and I was just expecting Brienne to talk to Jon about how things are going at Winterfell or hmm. get a message or anything. It didn't happen. They had other bigger, more important conversations to have, but I have to think they would have said something to each other.
0: You wonder if that's because he did get, send a letter back. Remember as we saw mm-hmm. that Bran was like, no, I got a letter. It wasn't, my green site or whatever to, the, to Sam. Maybe Brienne was off screen would be the one that was like, Hey dude, you need to communicate back there. They're kind of waiting for you to, <laughs> to report back here. But yeah. And, and given that they're traveling together, it might mean that they're just, well, we can have Brienne and John talk later, you know, mm-hmm. cause they know they'll have that opportunity later. We'll see.
3: Mm, we have a super chat from Laura B. I don't see a question here, Laura, but if you have one, I'll keep my eye out for it. Oh, we got another super chat though. From Matt H. Shout out from Vermont. I've been listening to you guys forever, but have never caught the live show. Best Song of Ice and Fire content on the Wherewood Net. <laughs> <So that's
0: laughs> Thank funny. you, Matt.
3: Thank you. Uh, so are we on...
0: We're now on Podrick and Tyrion, okay. I think. And it was cool for them to... Well, no, I guess there's more to say about Bronn and Tyrion. He, he brings up the... I love to hear that he brought up that, I'll offer you twice, remember? And now that Jamie is gone, you know, Bronn's already didn't like the idea of fighting dragons and... He was saying how in trouble they are, and now with Jamie gone, which is the only person that he can really count on to maybe ever give him a castle, and given the fact that Lena Headey and Jerome Flynn can't shoot scenes together because they hate each other in real life, just everything seems to point towards Bronn either just leaving entirely or flipping sides to be with, you know, like a sellsword would, to, to flip to the winning side. But if he's aware that Cersei's got this planned betrayal, I don't know. Do you guys, what do you guys think about Bron?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think their opportunities with him are kind of wide open because you know they're so far off what we know about real Braun. So I think probably he's going to go. You know, he's probably going to go off in search of Jamie or Tyrion or or something. Whatever's going to suit Bron. Whatever's going to.
3: Jamie really should have given him a heads up, huh? Right? <laughs> you guys think he's just going to go after him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, babe. Hey, come with me, but <laughs> come with me, Bron. Could use some help on the road. <laughs> but more on that a bit later, because at this point in our coverage, Jamie is still hasn't left yet. So let's move on to um, Podrick and Tyrion, which was that was a really nice conversation. It was good that that happened, and it was good to see them on the same side again. You know, for a while they were on opposite sides, and it's cool that now they're not. <laughs> That was good. Uh, good to see him. And, and Joe, uh, no, I almost called him Joe Dempsey. I always get, I sometimes get Podrick and uh, uh. and uh, Gendry confused. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I'm forgetting. Daniel uh, Portman. Daniel Portman, who I've met in real life, which is bizarre that I can't think of his name. And he really loved filming that scene, too. He thought it was really good for their characters. Did you guys have any thoughts on Podrick and Tyrion? I guess I guess the scene kind of speaks for itself. Yeah.
2: I, 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 no, I don't not really <laughs>
0: <laughs> No worries, no worries. Um we have a super chat here?
3: Uh yeah, from Acre Frey. You can read that as ease.
0: John could get it up for Danny. Does that mean Ungregor could get it up for the Septa? Now why did you have oh to take my us God. there? <laughs>
3: That's why I let you read that one Aziz.
0: Well, those are different we can at least say these are different types of re- resurrections, you know, one is the sort of sciency resurrection from Kyburn, and the other is more of a magical kind. So, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope them I hope he's the mountain that's limp.
3: Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, more <laughs> pleasant subject. Brandon <Brienne> Sandor.
0: <laughs> this is a much more pleasant yeah. subject. That's the closest we've ever seen to Sandor smiling, isn't it?
3: I mean, he was smiling. He was he was straight up smiling. I think.
0: I felt like his mouth was even, which maybe in his to him is a smile, but his eyes were smiling. That's that, that mm. was to me that was the distinction. But obviously, your mileage may vary. Yokpo, what did you think?
2: Hey, I thought that their, their chat earlier. I said. There's a few kind of very human moments in in the show this week that I really liked that kind of gave it an extra bit of sparkle. And this was one of them that I was referring to. It's just so nice to see this kind of, you know, a few minutes spent on slow-paced characterization. I feel like it adds a lot to it that CGI can't. And seeing the Hound and Brienne talk about Arya and kind of reminiscing and, you know, agreeing that she's a... You know, well-formed badass was was really satisfying for me. And uh, we see, I see a great pun here in the chat. Eve's um, Calliart,
0: uh, sorry if I said your name wrong, says res erection, huh? Oh, uh-huh. Yes, good one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um. So yeah. So that's the setup for the scene. We get a lot of people chatting with each other while they're walking in. To and the
3: dragon pit. Of
0: course, the you can dragon see pit on itself. Right yeah. now, Shay has pulled up this great image of the dragon pit, which is a good bit different from the books. But this is one of those things that, like, I will never complain about locations they choose because they can't build a dragon pit in real life. You know, they got to go with real world locations and just make do. And this is an awesome location. This was really cool. And we got some history on the dragon pit. We got some show version of it. We had Tyrion talking about it. We had Davos talking about it. We had at least one other person talking. I think three different people brought it up.
3: I saw some people asking about why there was such a tiny dragon skull there. When when the dragon pit was destroyed, presumably, and out of use, the dragons wouldn't have been much smaller. But this is a show we can assume that they don't have to have the same history.
0: A few small details. I just
3: wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, okay, so Yoke Boy, uh, give, us, uh, give us Barristan's take here on um, the Dragon Pit.
2: Yes, yeah, Sir Barristan. The Dragon Pit, it is called. It stands atop the Hill of Raines, though all in ruins now. That was where the royal dragons dwelt in days of yore, and a cavernous dwelling it was, with iron doors so wide that thirty knights could ride through them abreast. Yet even so, it was noted that none of the pit dragons ever reached the size of their ancestors.
0: Nice, and Lady Gwen, you also have a quote prepared here. This is from Mrs. Tyrion, right?
1: Yep, Mrs. Tyrion in Game of Thrones, and he's talking about the skulls uh, in the in the below the Iron Keep. Uh, uh, the, Iron Keep. <laughs> the red Throne. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We know what you <laughs> okay. meant. The red <laughs> You know what I meant. It's been a long week so far. So there were nineteen skulls. The oldest was more than three thousand years old, the youngest a mere century and a half. The more recent was also the smallest, a matched pair no bigger than mastiff skulls and oddly misshapen, all that remained of the last two hatchlings born on Dragonstone. They were the last of the Targaryen dragons, perhaps the last dragons anywhere, and they had not lived very long. So I think those skulls that we saw Danny and John looking at that you mentioned a minute ago you know, weren't necessarily supposed to be one of those because that would have been after, as you said. But I think that was just meant to convey that same sense of diminishment that that story gave us.
0: Right on. Yeah, well said. So then we kind of continue with the meetings. We have like a one last little moment before things start to get more tense, and that's Padrick and Brian. I said it again. I did the same thing on Monday. I said Brian.
1: Brian. Braun
0: and Brian. <laughs> okay, these are two different people, Aziz. So <laughs> Boy, tell us your thoughts on this.
2: You know, I would have really liked to see Braun witness the White, because he's such a fantastic actor, and uh I feel like he, he's being, you know, one of the strongest actors this season, for sure, in the earlier episodes. And I would have just loved to have seen his reaction. But as you alluded to, he he used to date um, Lena Headey, and they're contracted to, to not be in the same scenes. It's very restricting. So as we were discussing earlier, it probably points to him leaving with Jamie. Yeah. I I would agree with that.
0: It's it's just too many things pointing that way. Not just Bron's character, but these meta reasons. So it's just everything is pointing towards it. And it really did also is kind of maybe a clever way to handle it because it kind of added to the tension of the scene. It was like, wait, what's going on Because it was very suspicious, you know, and there were a lot of people exchanging looks about that. But then they started exchanging looks about just each other's presences. So Boy, tell us about that. There's a lot of glances that were very important
2: here weren't there yeah I, I i read into these glances i thought that the the sequence was in a certain order for a reason um there was the brienne jamie and cersei i thought that was significant in the books these three kind of form a triangle wherein the theme comes up of beauty honor and loyalty and that's kind of explored in this triangle but the show has veered drastically from from their kind of plot. However, this did this three way glance ignite this kind of rebirth of what we were expecting from Jamie, which we we did talk about.
0: Right on, yeah. And then you know the I think like you say, Brian Jamie, Cersei was probably the main. Gazes that really had a big effect, but obviously Tyrion Cersei was ju- right up there. And then there was also Theon and Euron, and just a couple of glances around by people like Masande. Maybe wasn't looking at anyone in particular. They were just kind of nervous and looking for traps. Same with Davos and other people. Then, of course, we get this is like a pre fight stare down, and given our expectations for Clegain Bull. It's kind of perfect, right? Like this yeah. is a pre-fight stare-down. We talked
3: about how I wasn't very hyped for Cle- ball I was just more, you know, moderate about the idea. I didn't really care like everyone else did. But a verbal ball on one side <laughs> yeah. only—that's a one side. That's more of my yeah. speed, to
0: be honest. <laughs> I liked
1: that a lot. <laughs> so,
0: Lady Gwen, what did you think about this moment?
1: Well, I think it was—I think it was pretty good. Sanders, you know, had a lot to say for himself this season. Um, I kind of loved it when he leaned in and looked Gregor in the eye, and he can look him in the eye, can he? He's just about the same Weird size as Weird red him, eyes, close. yeah. <laughs> He's looking at his creepy with the blue skin yeah. around. Uh, he said, you know, you know who's coming for you, you've always known, uh, and that reminded me, of course, of the Elder Brothers' words about Sandor Clegane in A Feast for Crows, he says, where other men dream of love or wealth or glory, this man, Sander Clegane, dreamed of slaying his own brother. And like many other people, I think there's serious unfinished business between these two brothers um, in the books as well as in the show. In spite of the Quiet Isle storyline where, you know, Sander Clegane is at rest, I don't really think so. I think he's he's got this... He's coming he's resting. for
0: him. He's getting ready. His leg he's, needs he's to heal. He's getting rested yeah. for that,
1: <laughs> Right.
0: <laughs> and Elder Brother's words are such a are such a huge part of the evidence that no longer needs to be given. I mean, I don't, there's probably nobody left who thinks that the gravedigger isn't Sandor Clegane. But at the time, when that was far from settled, the fact that Elder Brother knew so much about Sandor Clegane's, you know, hopes and dreams, is, was a big tell. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. how does he know that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah.
3: <laughs> There was a great interview this week um, by Huffington Post with Roy McCann, who, Rory McCann, who plays the Hound. And we were going to grab some favorite quotes. We didn't. But really, you guys should just read the article because it's absolutely hilarious. He talks about – he basically trash talks, you know, the mountain and says that he's going to win the, the game. Yeah.
0: Bowl. <laughs> they both do a little trash talking. It's hilarious. He's <laughs> like um... – They're both saying they would win. He's like, no, he's 100% wrong.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I win 100% of the time. Yeah, it's so. You got to read the article. Just look up Rory McCann. Yeah, he's
0: a really interesting guy. Apparently, he doesn't even own a television. He's an actor who doesn't own a television. He's like, yeah, he's. He, and he goes out on boat trips with Richard Dormer. You know, apparently they're like friends. Do <laughs> think
3: they were friends? I guess they knew each other from way back in the first Brotherhood Without Banners thing. Oh maybe, yeah. maybe they've been in other stuff before. They're both
0: English actors, yeah, right? I guess it, they're both English. Sense. Or is he McCann? Is he Irish? I guess he's Irish. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Same thing to us now. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. But I, I don't. I don't know oh, what eek. McCann is, honestly. <laughs> McC-
0: McCann is an Irish English. last yeah, name. Yeah. Okay. If it was Macan. It'd be Scottish.
3: We got a super chat though from Paul Vidal. Are you from Vidal Sassoon or something?
0: No.
3: Uh, shout out from <laughs> <Up-skin>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out from New Jersey. Do you ever feel that the show gets a bit too high fantasy for your for your taste compared to the books? Thanks. Love both your shows a ton.
0: Oh, what? Rock Rory McCann R- 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 is Scottish. It is Scottish. Okay, my okay. bad. Well, then
3: now there you guys can't go. always
0: judge by the last name.
3: Apparently. <laughs> uh, but uh as for your question, Paul, I, don't, I can't speak for everyone else, but for me, there's definitely been a few moments that were too high magic for me. I remember very clearly one where it was just too much was the scene where Bran and Jojen and Mira are going to the cave, and there's full skeleton whites, there's fireballs being thrown. That was too much for me. Um, yeah. And for me, the ice javelin was too much, but I don't, know, I don't know why that is, and a dragon isn't, but it is. That's my line.
0: And, and here's the thing: the, the, a lot of the high fantasy moments are have yet to are yet to come in the books. Mm-hmm. To my take is that if. Uh, oh, I said it backwards. I got the Mac and Mick back. Someone's <laughs> correcting That's why I got confused. Okay, uh-huh. so Mac is Irish and Mick is Scottish. Okay, thank you for the correction, people. We have such knowledgeable commenters. Isn't Rob McElhaney aligned.
3: Irish though? Because he has an Irish pub and all that. And it's Mick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, I don't know. <laughs> is, we, should, we should get away from this topic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we, we clearly aren't. Up, we clearly haven't studied our <laughs> our Scottish and Irish differences. Anyway, yeah, the what they what I don't like is when they substitute high fantasy for character development or something like that. Like I would, when it gets in the way of the other stuff, it kind of bothers me, but I kind of get that this is part of the draw for the wider fandom. So I kind of tolerate it because this is what brings more people into the fandom. This is what brings people closer to, to, you know, gives people a chance to maybe one day pick up the books, which is kind of the ultimate goal (laughs) in my mind. So, but really the main thing to me is they just haven't gotten this far yet in the books. We don't, maybe there will be, I kind of doubt the night King is going to throw a lance to take out a dragon in the books.
3: Yeah, but I do. But there
0: could be some pretty big high fantasy. I kind of doubt
3: we're gonna have a Night King period in the books. Agreed I, agreed. I don't know. It's possible we have some, you know, leader figure that comes out, but I don't know. I don't think we so.
0: probably will have dragons fighting the dead, though, right? Yeah. In some form or fashion, and that is gonna look pretty high fantasy. <laughs> dragons fighting undead doesn't get much more high fantasy than that, right? <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, Danny's entrance. This is. Uh, A real power move.
3: Yeah, she makes this huge entrance. I love it.
0: Yeah, and behind the scenes, Lena was talking about how her character hated it so much. (laughs) She's like, here she comes with her big, powerful dragon. Cersei hates people who are more powerful than her. And then she's all young and beautiful. She hates that. And she made everyone wait, which is a power move. She hates that, so there's just so much for her to hate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the uh, parlay between uh, Renly and Stannis, Renly made Stannis wait, so that is a point that George has made um, in the past about, you know, people using this little device to irritate the opponents. Mm. Um, I was surprised that Cersei didn't. See this coming like I lose.
0: <laughs> Wait till Danny arrives, then come out. Yeah. When you yeah. hear the dragon yell, yeah. then start walking out.
3: <laughs> it will
1: be like, a, I don't know, that
3: old trope from different comedy shows or whatever where there's two comedy actors, two actors in general, and one's, I'm not leaving my trailer until so and so leaves their trailer. Uh, so and so I'm not leaving my trailer until they How do you get them both out of the trailer? I, I for, One example would be 30 Rock. Jenna Maroney and Tracy Morgan constantly are trying to have this this status play.
0: (laughs) Big egos in a humorous setting. So we have, before they can start talking, Tyrion comes out. He says he starts to talk and Theon just, I mean Euron rather, just jumps in there and does his bit. He says he has Yara. Yeah.
3: Does that mean that she's on Pike or on his ship? Uh I you know I'm call, not sure yeah. it seems like safer maybe to have her on Pike maybe less safe I could see an argument both ways certainly if he's going to Essos to get the Golden Company it makes more sense to me for Theon's plot to come into conflict with that for him to go after Yara when she's with the Golden Company rather than him going for Pike but if he went for Pike that makes it a lot easier
0: It's true and and like you said it, it, it he could have easily left her at Pike when he was attacking Castle Rock you know that was all the way around So, yeah, so that's kind of an open question at this point, and it'd be funny if Theon shows up to rescue someone who's not there, but (laughs) uh, it also might make it easier, but more on that later.
3: (laughs) I really liked in this sequence, they had this uh, bit with Tyrion asking Theon if he remembers what they discussed uh, about dwarf jokes, and so Theon says that Eurons wasn't very good, and Tyrion goes, He explained it at the end. Never explain. Always ruins it.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that was good.
3: I I like that. I I will prefer, I prefer, you know, explaining the joke. (laughs) I will explain a joke even if someone didn't get it. I'm on Team Euron there, I guess. (laughs) So
0: then then there is some, you know, arguing and arguing. And Tyrion's like, hold on. We got to show you this. And this is where the whole plan of showing people a white really pays off because it really is terrifying to see it. You know, even if you're just lying about it being terrifying like you're on the lie kind of worked because it's believable, because it is terrifying, you know? And, and it's that thing that Tyrion brought up much earlier, that you, you're, our brains aren't meant to handle these kind of problems. You can't feel how you should feel when you hear that there's an army of the dead out there. You have to see it to really feel it and to make you take action. And that really played out for a lot of characters like Brienne and Jamie. And it had the impact on Cersei, but Cersei still didn't change her bottom
2: line. What did you think here, uh, Yoke boy? We'll start with you. Okay, so I, I just want to tell you about this, this gif that I saw today on the internet. Uh, when Sandor kicks over the crate, someone had cut it with, I think, season four where Tyrion gets out of the crate. <laughs> so it, it it looks like Sandor kicks the crate open and instead of a white, Tyrion like crawls out drunk <laughs> and, and then he cuts back it and everyone's kind of shocked like looking at Tyrion drunk. It's really
1: funny. It's
3: true it <laughs> Also, I just want <laughs>
1: It was true Tyrion. Also, I want to point out
3: before that you said you saw this gift today on the internet as, you know, as if you could have seen this gif on your local bulletin board. <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere else. Oh,
2: you, you're right, yeah. Did you,
3: did you retweet <laughs> the gif, a... young boy? If people go to Radio Westeros, will they find it?
2: Yeah, it's on our feed on, on, on this website called Twitter. If anyone's that. <laughs> cool, <laughs>
3: yeah. so anybody wants okay, to see okay. it, check that
2: out. <laughs> okay, uh, about the seed, I, I, I thought that the suspense was really good. Like, I don't know if you guys felt this, but there was a moment when I thought is this white gonna be alive still? I know we saw it moving on the boat, but there's that moment where you were like, Hey, you know, if if the, the white's dead, this was all for nothing and I thought that was really really added to the scene. Yeah.
1: I think they added some tension there. They they um actually in that scene on the boat, they they focused on the the clasp on the um on the crate, and then they had this sort of significant interplay with Sandor and the guard who was supposed to be guarding the crate. Mm-hmm. And then he brings the crate over, and I, I just kept thinking, what was that all about? Maybe the thing escaped. Maybe the guard opened it, and the the white is now roaming King's Landing, and they're all going to look like fools.
0: But, yeah, that was...
1: That so was good tension. It, yeah,
0: it was part of... Now, as we're thinking about the scene, it's important to remember that Cersei has planned to accept the armistice and backstab them f- before the armistice even began. That's why you're on... Yeah. Had his stuff all prepared. Like, that is, is very clear. So Cersei's terror, I mean, it, wor- it worked well for her that she was legitimately terrified mm-hmm. because it, it sold the, the later lies. Yeah,
3: I was wondering how much Cersei talked to Euron beforehand and told him to just just come up with a reason to pretend you're not getting involved. Just whatever happens, that's what you say. Cause he ha- And he came up with a very good one that is very believable that you want to get away from that thing. But clearly she wasn't able to prep him to have that answer ready. Uh, yeah. She didn't know it was coming.
0: Yeah, exactly. And 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 Cersei also, it, it also has the effect of making Cersei look weaker because she just loses a major ally right in front of everybody. So it really sells that her position is weakened too mm-hmm. when it actually isn't. Yeah. And so when she later says, okay, I'll fight with you guys... It it's it's more believable that she would because she's it looks like she's backed into a bigger corner than she really is. So that
1: mm-hmm. it's also made it's made more believable by the fact that he had just been made to look like a buffoon. By <laughs> T-
0: <laughs> That's true. So yeah, their argument was also probably it. staged. Like they were like, yeah, get up there and cause a commotion. And I'll tell you to shut shut up. Yeah. And that way they'll think that there's already a little rift between us and it sells what comes after that. So I thought that was actually really clever. The way the way they wrote the scene to make urine walk away, because I think really if you rewatch it, you're like, oh, of course Euron's lying. But in yeah. the moment, it was a lot harder Which to pick that up. Which is
3: part of what, when I talked earlier about this was an episode where knowing some of the spoilers for things really changed my perspective, I think. Because some of it seemed so obvious to me. Cersei smirking there. I'm like, she's not doing anything with them. and but I knew <laughs> that in advance. Yeah. So, so we got a super chat from maker Frey. Oh, cool. Do you guys think the Night King was watching the parlay through the white due to the blue eyes? Um, this is something that Aziz and Sean talked a bit about on Monday. I don't think we'll go too into it except to see if Lady Gwen and Boy think it's possible or agree. I was thinking that clearly one white didn't um, get destroyed when they killed the White Walker. So they clearly put a white in a group with the rest that isn't by the same White Walker. It would make sense, I think, for that white, for all of them to have a white created by the Night King, because he's unlikely to get destroyed, but I think it is possible that there's someone above that White Walker, like that White Walker was third, you know, general and someone else is above, and so maybe there's a different, a White Walker that looks through the eyes and tells the Night King what's up, but probably it's the Night King. I think he would be seeing this.
0: I think so too, but also before you guys jump in, I want to add one more thing, which is that... It added something to, we had a discussion earlier about how active the dead are, like how much they can respond to stimulus on their own. Like, because we talked about how Sandor goaded that one into attacking mm-hmm. at the at the frozen lake. Well, this one's clearly not under direct control of any walker. Like, they're not guiding its movement. It was just, re- it was like, ah, I'm angry, you're knocking on my box. The White Walker didn't like, okay, let, get really angry now. You know, it's not like commanding him to get do that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. So it mm-hmm. shows you a little more about how independent they are, which is kind of neat.
3: But then we also have obviously the differences in whites. Because I mean, we have, Hun Gregor there, and he's basically it seems like a slave. He just does whatever they say, and, and even to the point where Sean was theorizing about the night about Gregor, you know, doing something of his own, you know, uh, clashing with Cersei in some way. And I think I, I don't think we got to this, but we had you had some thoughts on this, this white action, Lady Gwyn with Kyburn, is that right or did that's your boy's thoughts I think. oh Yoke
2: boy my bad yeah, Oops. <laughs> yeah I, I was just going to say that, that I hadn't, hadn't really given it any consideration that you know that they, they could see through through the whites it they didn't really allude to it in a tv show but you, you know that as a mechanism I, I, would, I would think that you know the Night King could have this kind of power over, over people and you know, I, I wonder what he thought of Robert Strong. <laughs> I <laughs> wonder if he thought that, that's good work. He, he's he's handiwork. Well he's done.
0: done. <laughs> yeah, just from one necromancer to another. Good job.
2: <laughs> Great job. Yeah, he's a he's a big one. Wow, what a boy. <laughs> I, I, I think that Kaiburn um, probably wanted to take that white home. Um, he was probably a bit disappointed they they burnt it. He was probably wanting to say no. Uh, no. Yeah, let me. Um, can I keep that hand,
3: please? Yeah, if the, will the hand work even if you burn the rest of the white? Or?
2: I don't know. He's he, he's probably the character. Funnily enough, as, you know, all joking aside, that that could. You know, facilitate taking down the Night King because he probably understands the magic, but he's just probably not interested. (laughs) Ivern would probably like to see all all hell break loose. He's probably (laughs) quite happy with what's going on. Yeah. Um, We had a super chat.
3: Yes, we do have a super chat. You can scroll down in General because we're past this stuff because my mouse is slow. Okay, we have... But uh, oh. from Elon Steeritz, you people are my heroes. Do we know when the first Three-Eyed Raven was created? And if so, does that limit how far back Bran can see in the past? No and no, I don't think either.
0: It would have to be, you know, past the traditional point of which the Long Night came because... If the timeline is remote, is even close to accurate that were given from myth and legend, then the White Walkers came out during the long night or because of the long night or alongside it. And at that point, there wouldn't have been first men that were close to the children, you know, who were learning from them. It was before, you know, I would think that maybe after the pact is when this sort of thing started see, to develop. See, the thing is
3: that I'm not sure about is whether Bran needs... Like, I think I think he could maybe see further back than when there was a Three-Eyed Raven because mm-hmm. we see the creation of Night King, which is presumably when there wasn't a Three-Eyed Raven, and all he really needs, I think, is a werewood. Yeah.
0: And he doesn't even always need a werewood, apparently. I mean, he looked yeah. back at Rhaegar Liana, you know, just sitting there at, by the fire.
3: And it's not clear to me whether he was seeing... John and Danny or if that was just interspersed or whether he was seeing anything there. I d I don't think true. he was, but they're that's out true. in the sea.
0: And so. that's book can and Blood Raven does tell Bran that in time you'll be able to look anywhere. You won't need the werewoods. It's just it's just a matter of his powers growing. So him being by the fire versus being by the werewood for something like that is doesn't really make a big difference. <laughs> Did you what? guys have any take takes on that?
2: No, I, I would have just reiterate, reiterated what y- you said about uh, Blood Raven saying that in time you can see beyond the tree, which now in hindsight allows Bran to be mobile, doesn't he? You know, as a character, he allows him to leave the cave and s- retain his powers. So from a plot point of view, you understand, you understand that. Oh, uh, yeah. it's a good
0: point. Because that's certainly a thing that people are wondering about. Bran leaving the cave was a small surprise for people, especially given the circumstances with Hodor's death and everything that was made the whole thing a lot more shocking. A lot of book people, self-included, strongly entertained the theory that Bran would never leave Blood Ravens cave. But now, I doubt that the showrunners made all that up. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. Bran's going to end up in, in you know, south of the Wall.
2: In the I, I, too. I think... I- I, I think the convergence of the Starks just made too much sense. Mm. The 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 way they came together, they all had an all three of them had a new skill, and you know they had to re-familiarize and get to know each other. I think that that smacks of classic storytelling. Lady gwynne has been telling me this for years. So <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: So if we're back to the meeting in the dragon pit now. Cersei's plan, the part about asking John to kneel, this is also really important to consider in the light of Cersei planning to betray them all along. If she could get John, who she knows is a guy who doesn't break oaths, to agree to not attack Cersei, then that really fits into her plan really well. Because then she can go do what she wants, and hey, John's. Made a promise that he has to keep, even though Cersei broke her promise. John won't break his just because Cersei broke hers, unless Cersei attacks John. Like if she were to attack him, he would, you know, that's that's a fair cop. But if she just goes attacking the south, and John agreed to not fight her, then he would hold to that, you know, as much as he would hate it. Um, so that was kind of clever of Cersei. It just didn't work out because he had already pledged himself to Danny, <laughs> and uh, that was kind of why she got frustrated <laughs> and walked off and maybe you know demanded more. <laughs> So, uh, that was, it's important to to think of it in that light. And then, you know, then they, so she walks off. Brienne and Jamie have their moment where Brienne says something that's very shocking for her, F loyalty. And, and, and Jamie's still at this point is, you know, being led by the nose. He doesn't, <laughs> he's still like Olena said, has lost control of the situation. And he's like, yeah, what am I supposed to do about it? He says, and tell her what? So Lady Gwen, what's your, what's your take on all this?
1: Well, it has to do with the whole Brienne and Jamie and Cersei triangle. Um, you know, in um, Dance with Dragons, when Cersei has... Well, actually, this is going back to Feast, where Cersei has sent for Jaime um, while she's imprisoned. She's received no reply from him whatsoever, and we could probably in a couple minutes talk about his lack of reply. But... When um, she's told that he's gone off with someone, she her she's kind of mystified. She says, a woman? What woman? Where did they go? No one knows. We've had no further word of him. The woman may have been the Evenstar's daughter, Lady Brienne. And then it's kind of just left at that. I think that's while she's in prison. And then later... When she's back at the Red Keep, I said it right that time, <laughs> she thinks uh, <laughs> she thinks, ja- uh, Jamie's sword hand was gone and so was he, vanished with the woman Brienne somewhere in the Riverland. So she's still kind of mystified as to why Jamie has wandered off with this woman that she, she doesn't know much about, except that she thinks she's a great big ugly, shambling creature, I think, is the way <laughs> Yes, episode, of course Cersei right? would judge it's, it's, it's her like pretty that. Much yeah. <laughs> exactly, yes.
0: Um, our co-writer, Joe Buckley, suggests that this was a bit like Tormund and Jon. Tormund planted the seed in Jon's head about pride and kneeling, and that ended up playing out, and just like this moment, Brienne plants the seed in Jamie about what really <laughs> matters, about loyalty, and then that ends up, well, in a set, loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, Brian or Jamie's loyalty goes to you know the the living instead of his family, but still it's a for, it's a, it's a, certainly a thing about loyalty and where you uh, prioritize.
3: Mm-hmm. We got a super chat from Michelle Carey. Uh, comment on sanguinicity. Danny and John are actually closer genetically than normal. Aunt- aunt and nephew because of the inbreeding in the Targ family tree That's a good that is point. correct yes that
0: is a good point that is a very good point yes Rhaegar's line had several you know generations in a row of inbreeding without without pause like there are a lot of non targaryens in the targaryen family tree but starting with um, aegon the 5th everyone after aegon the 5th was um, an incest marriage for like four generations.
3: That said, it's not like the characters in World will know that their aunt nephew relationship is grosser than another one. Yes, I, I don't. They don't know those. They terms, don't have all the science so, yeah. backing
0: up these uh, these arguments here. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a good. That is a good point that I don't think any of us even considered. Which and we have considered this blood, the closeness of the bloodline. So good catch there. Thanks from Australia there, Michelle. All right, so. Tyrion and Cersei's meeting. This one is fraught with controversy and theorizing. There's a lot of unknown here because of how the scene ends. It ends kind of abruptly, and people, there's a lot of theorizing what happens there after. Is. But let's start at the beginning. Tyrion loved her children. That's a really, a little, you know, her his nephews and he, Nephews and niece. Well, he, he, loves, didn't love he loved his nephew and niece, not yeah. his nephews. I he only loved one well, of them. It's yes, there. But <laughs> I think Cersei
3: yeah. does know the truth of, the truth of this, and I mean, it's not like Tyrion claims he loves Joffrey either. He said he, he's talking about Tommen and Marcella and I, she knows she can see how many afternoons he spent with them, talking to them, and, and trying to protect them and all that.
0: And Cersei's arguments were interesting. He made Tyrion made some of the same arguments he made to Jamie. He said, "Look, it was him or me." Our father was going to kill me, even though he knew I was innocent. What is up with that? So she's like, it doesn't matter. You killing him is wrecked our family. It, it, it was too much of a blow. It, it's the reason Tom and, and Marcella died. It doesn't matter if it wasn't justified, because the bottom line is that my kids are dead because of it. And that's a very interesting point of view. And, and I think that, it's not just know, that.
3: It's the bottom line. My kids are dead, and our house seems doomed.
0: Yeah. And, and she blames that on Tyrion. And whether or not it's right to blame Tyrion for that... Uh, she, it's a strong point, you know, uh, and it's it, it re- kind of reveals her thoughts on the matter, and it fits her character, I think, being very hardline about it, being very bottom line about it. Not the whys and the whats don't matter; it's the bottom lines that matter. And Cersei, that that to me is very fitting for her character. Um, so, Lady Gwen, uh, give us your thoughts here, because Tyrion would know that this child is Jaime's. Um So that mm-hmm. really has a big effect, and one of the big theories here is that. Some sort of arrangement was made, perhaps with involving that child. So let's get your thoughts first. This is a this is a big one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not surprising coming so close to that discussion about Tommen and Marcella and the this pregnancy reveal uh, that people would wonder what Tyrion's reaction was in the part that plays out off kind of off camera. What was said? If there was some sort of secret. Bargaining or deal or betrayal or, or whatnot going on. I tend to think that Cersei played Tyrion just as much as she played Jaime because I think yeah Cersei's for Cersei.
0: I totally agree yeah. that all that was theater. You know, she was just. But the thing is, she was it was theater because she wanted to get something more out of them. You know, she's like, well, I'm going to end up agreeing to this because that's what I that's how I'm going to fool them all. I'm going to agree to this deal. But she got to act like she was grieved at John's, you know, not kneeling because she was kind of counting on that, and that part fell through. So, still, even if it wasn't, you know, the big popular theory is that Tyrion told Cersei that her, since Danny can't have kids, that Jamie or that Jamie and Cersei's kid would, could be the heir to, to both kingdoms. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that theory, though. I absolutely think it, it, it's possible. Um, the problems with the theory are well. There's a lot of them. One, this would mean that Tyrion outed Danny's inability to have kids. Yeah, that is not public knowledge.
3: No, and that's something that Cersei would use in a in a you know propaganda campaign easily. Yeah.
0: Big. So that's a big part of this that's hard to swallow. Second of all. Um, <clears throat> It's just fraught with peril. Both sides would know that this kid is no sure thing from being, you know, making it to birth and surviving the cradle. This is Westeros, after all. This is a pre-First World Society where infants die frequently, even ones with, you know, royal kids with great medical care. You know, relatively great medical care. So I'm not really sure what to think because I don't really buy this arrangement of Tyrion saying that the, that the heir, you know, his first of all, Tyrion doesn't have that authority either. Daenerys would never go for that, especially not, you know, after the fact. She'd be furious if Tyrion made this arrangement without her knowledge. And and Cersei would know that Tyrion doesn't have that authority. So, uh, so on one hand, he had to offer something, or he had to say something more to get her to come back out, even though she was going to come back out anyway. So, it's confusing, um, but uh, I'm still down on the, he's giving, you know, naming their child, that child heir. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on this? Any other ways this could play out or any just takes on this situation in general? Because it's, it's one of the things we've gotten the most questions about.
2: Are we, are we presuming that Tyrion would be promised Casterly Rock in this scenario?
0: Uh, I guess it would, there'd be some extension of that. If it's, see, that, there's, this is part of why it's confusing, because there's multiple possibilities. There's a possibility that Jan, Tyrion didn't betray Danny other than revealing the, you know, her inability to have kids. Agreeing for, for there, that kid to have this be the the heir to both kingdoms isn't necessarily a betrayal. It might just be a sensible solution, a compromise. Like he but,
3: said, lie, lie.
0: <laughs> but it could be a full turn where he's like, okay, I'm back with House Lannister. I need something. You know, Castle Rock can be that something. So that's there's multiple. Like it could be a a card of a, a backhanded move by Tyrion, or it could be a full betrayal and. It's, it's really unclear which. I really don't think, I really have a hard time thinking it's a full betrayal, though, because Tyrion was very adamant with everybody. He's like, yeah, of course, Cersei's going to betray us all. <laughs> you know, before the meeting, he was very clear about that in episode six, which was kind of a relief for all us to hear that. He's like, why is Tyrion trusting Cersei? Well, he doesn't. So, uh, how yeah, is he going to trust her to fulfill
3: this? What I was going to say is, I'm just damn down on the idea that there was any backdoor planning here at all.
0: Yeah. Some, there had to be something for Cersei to come back out. But it doesn't have to be something this big, you know, it could be something smaller. Yeah. I don't know.
3: For wait for her to come back out?
0: She was like, I'm not doing the deal.
3: Yeah. And know, then I she came back what, out and I said, I, I will do the plan. deal. I think her plan is to like tr- to try to convince them she has to make it be convincing.
0: Oh no, I agree. But something still there has to be convincing reason for her to come back out. What changed her mind? Because to Tyr- to everybody else was sitting there she told Tyrion I'm not coming back out. I think out. she
3: thought about I think I think the point is that she had this conversation with Tyrion they got personal for a minute Cersei thought about the realities of things and that's what she she didn't really but that's what she wants them to think. Yeah. She, all she needed was time. She didn't need a concrete reason I think she just needed time because she couldn't just do it right away.
0: Yeah. So okay. I don't think
3: anything happened. To have happened.
0: It could be that simple. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's that's a possibility. It, it could be just it could be anywhere from that simple to some sort of secret guild, a full betrayal to anything.
3: A super chat from Meredith Glassberg. By letting him know she's pregnant, Cersei's giving Tyrion some things uh to leverage in negotiations.
0: Yeah, basically that's you know because behind the SC, this is actually this is an important detail. The behind the episode reveals that Cersei conned Tyrion with the pregnancy thing. He thought that. He figured it out. But she intentionally touched her belly to telegraph that so that he would figure it out. To think that he figured out something. That he was, she was actually intending to communicate.
3: And I think that's smart for a few reasons. But one, I think it, it knowing that she has a baby means he's more likely to believe that she's softened towards things. And it means that he's more likely to soften towards her and deal with her a little more kindly.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree. So... Everything makes sense in the context of Cersei stalling or maybe, to, maybe to try to get a better deal out of everything, but the better deal isn't necessary because all she really wants is for those, all those other armies to go north and get busy so she can do her thing while they're busy. And that's, and as far as everything looks, that is going to happen. Cersei's plan is going to at least work early on. Okay. Let us uh, do some mid-roll shoutouts, and then we'll talk about the after-meeting and the rest of the episode. So let's see. It is time for our Ironborn shoutouts this time. We've got a couple of new ones in there. Thanks to our Ironborn captains. Leading off is Kathleen the Ruthless, captain of the Night Terror, their motto: don't fall asleep. Black Matto Stormrider, captain of the Rusted Hinge. Rebea, Lady of Waves, is captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. Tusk Shield, Breaker Captain of Kraken's Fury. Oisyan the Wanderer is Captain of Naga's Living Flame. Sir Selvis Redblade of White Harbor is Captain of Trident of the North. Lord Chucklaws is Captain of the Drummond Nightblood, Destroyer of Evil. Mad Zack is Captain of the Red Wake. Heron Burntbeard is Captain of Smoking Narwhal. John Gregor is Captain of the Fist of the Drowned God. Kari's Far Wind is called Seal Speaker, Oracle of Lonely Night. Ah, Lonely Light, that is, sorry. And the motto is The Eyes in the Waves. Sir Kiaron, or sorry, Sir. Mwah. Sir Kiaron of Lonely Light is Oh sorry, that's Kiron of Lonely Light, Scourge of the Sunset Sea, Captain of Naga's Breath, a Droman armed with siphons of wildfire. And finally, Eileen, Archer Queen, Captain of the Border Collie. That's pretty cool. We also have our Blood Riders, who deserve their shout-out as well. That is Kohol Master of the Bow, called Sunpiercer. Vorsaki, Wielder of a Valyrian Steel Arak with a Dragon Bone Hilt. And Stefania, first-named Kalaki, Blood Rider, Wielder of the Orvik Key Vorsa, which means Whip of Fire in Dothraki. And also, thanks to Casey of House Chikawawa from Torman's Giant Swang, our love is forever. Right on, right on. Now, again, this season has been full of references to the books. And with so much happening and so much referring to the past, it's easy to get book and show canon crossed over. And with so much time between now and the next season, and who knows when The Winds of Winter will be out, I highly recommend a reread. It's always a great thing to do after the season to kind of get everything straight again. And for that, I recommend Audible.com. Two free downloads with the trial, and that trial is free. So you can keep the trial. If you like it, start getting the rest of the books on Audible because you get free ones with your subscription. But if you don't like it, just keep the two free books and be done with it. You know you don't have to spend any money. Go to historyofwestros.com. The audible.com links are over there on the right. And uh, if that's a fit for you, Great, because it really is for me. I I was listening to the World of Ice and Fire today (laughs) on Audible. So Mm -hmm. there you go. All right. Let us move on. How about King's Landing post the meeting? This is Jaime and Cersei. So, God, Cersei's just so rude here. Like, you're the stupidest Lannister. She's, like, basically not... She's basically, like, proud of herself for doing such a good job on tricking everybody. But then acting like Jamie's an idiot for not figuring it yeah. out, even though she did such a good job tricking everybody. <laughs>
3: That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> so he had no idea, clearly. He's like, what? He was totally flummoxed by this, this turnaround. And obviously his generals were, too. They, they, they obviously didn't know. <laughs> so... Uh, but, the, but a key thing here is that Cersei didn't even trust him with this. He was really upset that... He, as the commander of his armies, was not in on this plan, this, this side deal with Euron, like they conspired, and didn't include him in it. So that goes to show the, the declining level of trust between them. And that was a big part of what comes shortly after. Uh
3: what did he expect? He spoke with Tyrion. Tyrion. <laughs> what are you thinking, Jamie?
0: And Braun uh, <laughs> Jerome fled. You spoke with yeah. Jerome Flynn.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lena. He's mad at him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Lady Gwen, give us your take here.
1: Well, I think you're right that that's that's just a huge overstep, uh, or you know, on her part to not consult with the commander of her army about these sorts, of and Jamie um, for everything that they've been to each other. Um, you know, she begs, I mentioned this earlier, she begs Jamie in feast for crows to come to King's Landing to help her when she's in prison. And this is it. This is where we finally got to this moment that we've all been waiting for. Um, in A Feast for Crows, here is the line of Jamie replying to Cersei's letter, which is quite impassioned. Just say, it just basically says, I love you, I love you, I need you, hurry, and it, that's pretty much what it says over and over again. His reply was, Jamie rolled the parchment up again as tight as one hand would allow and handed it to Peck. No, he said, put this in the fire.
0: Oh. <laughs> and, aw- awesomely, even though the show and book very much diverged on a lot of Jamie and Cersei, this moment has one similar feature, which is that when Jaime throws this letter in the fire versus when he rides off, in both cases, snow is just starting to fall in the <laughs> south here, or it's at least in these scenes. snow—it's snowing in the Riverlands for him, and in- here it's snowing in King's Landing. <laughs> Yoke boy, what's your take?
2: Yeah... Touchwood, it does appear that Book Jamie is back, which you, you know, some people are going to be very happy about this. We would all pretty much given up, but Book Jamie looks like he's back. He's finally had enough of Cersei. Uh, Jamie and Brienne fans, especially, will be delighted. The, th- the thought of these two, you know, possibly fighting together, teaming up somewhere that's a really exciting thought, isn't it? You know. Those two, you know, on on, on a battlefield against the dead, fighting for the survival of mankind. I think that's really exciting. Uh, It might be notable that Cersei, who is easily the meanest of the three siblings, was, in fact, unable to kill either of her siblings. So, you know, maybe there, like we've been discussing, maybe there is a a little statement about the Lannisters, you know, who they really are underneath.
0: Did you guys think that the mountain was going to kill Jamie there? Did you? Did was, how much tension did you worried. feel? I
3: was actually worried. I was too. Mm-hmm. Like
0: doing that twice. Like since it already happened with Tyrion, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if they're going to just do this." Tw-. It was a good. It was a good twist, a good setup because it really felt like it. It could really happen.
1: Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, just- I thought. You know, I was going to say I thought she just would be more likely to be that angry at Jamie. You know, yeah. the bet- she, their love was that much greater that the betrayal would be that much more. That,
0: yes. Because mm-hmm. killing Tyrion ruins her whole plan. That ruins her plan <laughs> of laying low while everyone goes north and then backstabbing them. That ru- <laughs> If you just kill the hand <laughs> of the queen, like, so much for that, you know. But Jaime, killing Jamie is just, that doesn't... The Northerners don't care about that. They'll be like, really? I mean, and in
3: f- fact, it? that keeps Jamie from outing her plan to them, because that's where he's going. He knows about
0: Euron, so, yeah. So
3: there's that. But I will say, Cer- Cersei was nice enough not to kill her brother, and he still abandoned his children, his child. <laughs> he had already been an absent father for Joffrey, Tommen, and Ursula, and now whatever this little baby is. I don't, I don't
0: think born. he sees himself as abandoning her permanently, you know what I mean? No, yeah. I know you're just joking. But yeah. it's like he might, I think in his mind, he can... He can reconcile with Cersei later.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would agree with that.
0: But uh, we'll see about that. Now, a good catch that was oh, made by one of a our good
3: point right here from right at the Burt. Jamie has to go north and face Bran.
0: Oh, great catch! I didn't even he, think about that. I mean, this is such. See, this is why I said that there. If we were just to talk about Jamie going north, we could fill an entire episode. So this is <laughs> why we're going to have plenty to talk about in the off season. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that, Jamie and Brand. Like, one of the geez, things,
3: of the things we're going to talk about in our next uh, episode next week, where we talk a little bit about some of the things leading up to season eight, uh, is that there was that preliminary outline for season seven that, for season seven that was leaked uh, through the HBO hack in addition to all the, the leaks in general, and that has some really interesting differences that we're going to talk about. And one of them is that Jamie t- takes an army north. Yeah, in the in the actual preliminary outline. Oh wow! Yeah. And he ch- changed it. I mean, one is how is he able to get this done? It causes all this conflict. I was surprised in the episode for him not to have an army with him.
0: though. Mm, at least not not even a brawn. Yeah,
3: he does have a black horse. <laughs> he though.
0: does. That's what I was going to say before you said that. Yeah, a black horse. That's the first time we've ever seen him on a black horse. I believe it might be the first time he wore a black cape. But he did have you see, lady? When I see you say he, you did find an example of him wearing a black cape.
1: Yes, because this is something that I, for whatever reason. Um, it's been, you know, tossed around as significant in some way. He's dressed in red and black, um, at the Winterfell feast early in the Game of Thrones. I don't know if it's significant. Um, it could just be a, you know, just an early sort of, you know, description, but, um, he's wearing crimson silk, black boots, and a black satin cloak. A lot of people find that interesting because it's Targaryen colors. Um, but there you go. I think it's interesting because so many in this particular season, we've seen so many characters' uh, wardrobes turn into this kind of black theme and they're all going to the wall. So Yeah, yeah, that is interesting.
3: We've got a super chat from Roberta Mitchell. Thank you. I don't see any questions, so feel free to put that in the chat and I'll try to keep my eye out for it, Roberta. Thanks. And we've also got another super chat from Eric Harry. I don't know if you guys have gotten this question yet, but could Euron be like Admiral rain Waters and take the money and run?
0: Well, it's possible. The thing is, we don't know that he actually has the money. Like, the Iron Bank, for all we know, the Iron Bank is paying the Golden Company directly, mm-hmm. or that they're not being paid till they get there. There's no reason to assume Euron has the cash to pay them. You know, that it's possible. But we can't assume that. Um, but yeah, it's possible. I, I really wonder what how that would affect the greater plot if Euron just goes rogue like that. But, uh, Mm-hmm. He would. he have the gold company fighting for him? I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's really. It's really kind of, kind of curious. This whole pot. The possibility here. And in fact, this was our next thing to talk about. You're on going to Essos. This is a. This is a timely super chat. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I put it right there. Yeah. You're so welcome. Y- you had. A- <laughs> right you, had a, you have yeah. a good take here. Yeah. Something we're
3: we have about. Euron going to Essos to get the Golden Company with their elephants. elephants. I just have to like underline that like three times. Elephants. like Talk about it. that's a great mm. way to add some unique visual elements to season eight, I think, is to have that. But uh, my other question is what else could come of him going to Essos? Is it possible that he could you know, acquire some of those artifacts that he has in the books? He has Valyrian steel armor. He has Dragonbinder. And if he has Dragonbinder... Could it work on an undead drag?
0: Yeah. That's my question. A lot of questions. A lot of good questions. And it makes sense that they would... I was wondering if The gold Company would ever be in the show, you know? And it was kind of like, ah, maybe not, because they're cutting the whole Young Griff plot. But it also makes sense that it would be in the final, in the final season, because, like you said, elephants. Like, that adds a big chunk to the budget, because I imagine they're CGI elephants. Or at least mostly CGI. And that's like a big... You see that sort of stuff in big budget productions. Like Lord of the Rings has uh, elephants, you know, and things like that. So uh, making that, saving that for the big finale season makes a lot of sense. And I'm just I'm just happy we're getting the Golden Company, even though we might not get...
3: The real Golden Company. The
0: real Golden Company. I imagine we'll get, you know, because they even gave Euron his single eye armor. Yeah. I bet we'll get their skulls and the motto. Cause why not? Why would they make new stuff up for this? is go with go with what's they already do that? there.
3: Yeah, why ever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they do occasionally change the details, but it's usually they don't. You know, usually they keep the basic details in place. And but and since Jamie isn't around, Cersei has no military commanders. That gives us some uh, uh, some hope for Golden Company characters to like at least to interact with Cersei to talk about what the plan should be, this and that, because normally all that was filtered through Jamie, all this command stuff. But now it's not going to like go through Kyber, I don't think. So maybe we'll get a uh, maybe we'll get a you know a, what's his face uh, who was the one that died uh, Miles Blackheart or something like that. <laughs> Even though he's been dead for a while in the in the books, it would be a real kick in the butt if it's actually John Connington. I, would, I really don't think it will be, but man, that would be a surprise. What Even bigger they're... surprise if it's Young Griff. <laughs> what,
2: what, what if what if Theon fucks up the whole plan with with his. You know, interception of Euron or whatever the hell he's doing. I guess we'd talk about that later, but you know, the elephant in the room with this elephant in the room, eh? The elephant in the room with with this plan is, is that Euron might not even have to run away to, to ruin this mission. It could, it could be down to a move from Theon.
3: Yeah, I'm, and I'm, sti- Jamie. And I'm still wondering about Jorah. I mean, we know Jorah served in the Golden Company, and I wonder what connections he has. I, I'm expecting something to come of that.
0: Yeah, that's an easy one to forget, because Jorah didn't serve in the Golden Company in the books, but he mentions it offhand in, like, season four or something uh, like it's that. Just, it's a real...
3: Seems notable.
0: Yeah, it does now. At the time, it was like, huh, that's a f- puzzling thing. But now it's like, ooh, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Euron also. This has the other impact. of Jaime running off, Euron can be maybe pushed even harder for the marriage, and Cersei may have less reason to hold him at arm's length. You know, if she's got the golden company and under you know under her control, the Iron Bank, and she's got her enemies where she wants them. Mm, I don't know. You're on. She can still hold Euron on/off, but he'll 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 push harder. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but could he go for Danny instead? Maybe he wants to switch sides.
3: I mean, I, th- I think it seems clear to me, watching it, the lines that he says about the queen and all all of these things that he's just vague enough that I, I it, it is referencing Danny. I think. And he made
0: his beautiful woman, most beautiful woman in the world comment. Yeah, he made too. that, and I
3: th- he was talking about Danny. You know, ultimately, I think so. I I think we will exp- uh, see him make overtures to. Her, but I don't know how successful that will be. But maybe more successful if he's able to get the golden company involved with her.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So we can move on from that. The um, we'll, we'll obviously have this is another topic that we will absolutely come back to during the off season because there's so many possibilities and surely we haven't considered them all yet. And uh, as more ideas come, we'll start to present them maybe in more in a more of a formal fashion. All right, so let's talk about the snow on King's Landing, and we'll start with you, Lady Gwyn.
1: Well, you, you mentioned this. It's, I think it was a great callback to the books, um, which was one of the... There were a, a handful of things in this episode that really made me kind of cheer out loud. Um, and when I saw that snow falling, it reminded me of that moment in the in a Feast for Crows when it's snowing in the Riverlands when he gets and burns that letter from Cersei. Um, and you know we this it says when morning broke the snow was ankle deep and deeper in the godswood where drift had piled up under the trees, and when he's looking at the letter it says how a snowflake landed on the letter and I just those snowflakes kind of in the air around him really brought me back to that moment. So.
0: Yeah, the snowflake landing on the letter was very much like the snowflake landing on his glove. So that was pretty yes. cool, cool little connective bit of connective tissue between book and show.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Uh, and Yoke Boy, you had a take here as well.
2: I, I did. I don't know if I'm the only one that, that thought this, but like it had really delicate music, slowed down delicate music over kind of choral, vocal, kind of hymn music. And it really reminded me of Christmas. I, I thought, you know, this is like, I wouldn't mind watching Home Alone after this.
0: <laughs> Joe Buckley points out that to him, it was almost like a Disney film, The Snow on King's Landing. It's a beautiful, enchanting shot, but... <laughs> We know that it's nothing, it's anything but (laughs) underneath, you know. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. Um, Let's go to Dragonstone. This was kind of curious because this is a a bit of a missed prediction here. I thought that these scenes would come before the King's Landing meeting because, you know, I used logic that doesn't really apply on the show, which is they would be passing Dragonstone on their way to King's Landing, (laughs) so they'll stop there first. Nah. (laughs) Nah. (laughs)
3: <laughs> One of the harshest diseases ever been. I now, used lot you no, thought you meant it's just out of context. I used <laughs> logic that they wouldn't have used on the show.
0: But they actually did stop at Dragonstone, because that's how where all the house at Masande joined the group and all that. But yeah. they just didn't have scenes there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me being harsh, <laughs> my version of it. But we had a great moment here and, and despite the, all this, it was still a this John Theon scene. Was uh, pretty strong. Stark plus and Greyjoy equals Stark and Targaryen. And you know, John was kind of talking to Theon, but he was also kind of talking to himself mm-hmm. unknowingly, you know. And uh, God, this is some sort of Lady Dustin stuff that got in here, didn't it? You know, with the. Uh, identity.
3: <laughs> on, on Monday, Stream of Z's, did this whole thing, so now look, I'm, I'm John, and right here, Targaryen, <laughs> with a Stark on top, get it?
0: Oh! That's all yes.
3: I wanted to do. But oh. he, did, he did the one with the Greyjoy too before.
0: Gotta <laughs> 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 to wear many different hats.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
0: Lady Gwen, tell us what you thought about this.
1: Yeah, well, you just mentioned Lady Dustin, you know, when Theon goes down into the crypts at Winterfell with Barbie Dustin, in A Dance with Dragons, she kind of calls him, oh, um, you know, here he is thinking all the things that he's done, you know, pretending to kill Brandon Rickon, taking Winterfell, burning it. It's probably indicative of him hating the Starks, right? But she nails it right on and says, why do you love the Starks? And um, his answer is just, I wanted to be one of them. And so you know, this scene with him and John really brought me back to that, and um, I love the fact that John was able to, um, you know, kind of absolve him as much as he could um, for that that struggle that he's had internally for so long.
2: it was It was great to see, wasn't it? I, I thought this was a really huge moment for John and Theon and one of the the human moments I, I was talking about earlier. I thought that Jon not only solves Theon's long-standing cognitive dissonance regarding his identity, but Jon also unknowingly resolves his, his own upcoming dilemma about Stark versus Targaryen, and the answer's there for him, it came out of his mouth, he can be a Stark and a Targaryen, so... For me, it was one of the best scenes of the episode, and it was just as just as much about RLJ as about Theon. So I thought it was actually quite clever writing there.
0: Yeah, and they didn't rush through it either. A lot of these connections, these reunions, these moments, we're happy we get them, but they're we wish they were a little longer. This one was not cut short. This one was like thorough and full, and it didn't. It wasn't like they rushed past all the points. So that was that made it extra good, and it's it's also touches on John's kind of recurring theme of forgiveness. He John will forgive anyone as long as they're not impeding the Great War's progress. So like Ollie, sorry, you're dead. But doesn't matter what Theon did because he's on the right side huh. now. And that's just but John is very much looking at the bottom line here. He's like, look, if you're helping with the Great War, I don't care what you did. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's still not quite as nice to him as he is you know maybe he was to Jorah who did something poor as well. I agree. For example, he says, uh, you know, there's this great talk they have about wanting to do the right thing, you know, and, and John obviously feels like he's made a lot of mistakes over the years, so I think he could relate to that. And so Theon says, "I've done plenty." I mean, sorry, John says, "I've done plenty of things I regret." Not compar- not compared to me, you haven't, says Theon, and John just goes flatly, very flatly, no. I haven't. That, that's the truth. I definitely have not screwed up as badly as you have John. And I've been killed.
0: John is honest. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm forgiving you, but I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it's one thing that is very consistent about him, that's for sure.
3: See,
0: <sighs> so yeah, also it was a great shot. Like, the, those two standing alone in that huge cavernous Dragonstone throne room is just really cool. Because they, they always mm-hmm. take the opportunity to show it, you know, from, a, from the backdrop. And it's just great. I love that spot. So, like John says, what are you standing here talking to me for? Uh, you know, if this is what you need to do, then go do it.
3: He said that and I was like, in my mind, Theon was approaching John because he kind of wanted help. It was that was what I thought about the situation that he was trying to get some people to contribute some men or some resources or advice or anything? And John just says, "Well, what are you waiting for? Just go do it." And I was <laughs> like, uh, I really it's hard for me to imagine Theon having much success with the few Ironborn he has.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's funny, like.
3: 20 good men, yeah. Tw- <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yoke boy. Yoke boy, you, you caught that were, too, huh? Did you, did you count how many there were, Yoke Boy?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I did. That's what I was going to count them on the screen because it does seem like 20 good men come again, doesn't <laughs>
3: it? <laughs> it
0: it's almost seems kind of silly for them to go to sail the nows with 20 men expecting to do something. But when they get there. I'm like, wait, Euron's not here. Euron's in Essos. So, oh, what great timing we have. Unless Yara's not there, then it's, you know, then it's not so great. Yeah. But that's pretty funny. They're like, oh, we're going to go face all this. Wait, there's no one here. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still count as brave. See, Theon's going to get to have done a brave deed without actually having to do the brave <laughs> deed.
3: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, uh, you know, we were talking about whether Jar would be a Pike, and I think one point in the favor of her being on Pike is that we've had Pike in the opening credits all season. It could just yeah. be because we had this great white presence, but I, I expect we will see Pike again, and so they might be then. Um, but I had a couple other thoughts on this scene in particular. One, wouldn't this kick wouldn't this kick from Herrig, That's that Ironborn guy who's really salty. Uh, <laughs> hey, that that wouldn't that still hurt an old wound? Like it wasn't that many years ago that Theon would have had this happen. I, I maybe not that long. Ago. I, don't I just, know. clearly it didn't. I just it was my yeah. thought that just because you it's gone doesn't mean there's not some sensitive area. This is,
0: might be a clever writing there, cause there's just no one, no, who's around to tell, to, to verify whether this is accurate or not. Like, do yeah. we know anyone that have lost both cock and balls that can vouch for how much it hurts to get need there when I you don't, don't have
3: I, I, Yeah, with, <laughs> with medieval heal, you know, medical care. I don't know. Uh, but. On a more serious point, <laughs> I thought that Theon washing the blood from his face right there in the salt water was a very ironborn moment. Yeah. This baptism, this, uh, you know, moment that he had where he's finally back to himself. Maybe. Maybe.
0: Yeah, sort of a, yeah, like a washing... Yeah, t- I,
3: I expect we will see more of of Theon and PTSD and war and all that. I don't I don't expect it just went away or anything.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad they found a way to tie Yara's rescue, apparently. I mean, if he goes there and finds that Euron's gone, then then if Jamie hasn't already told people, or if they don't trust Jamie, then he can be the one to out this part of the plan. Cause you know, Cersei's betrayal is perhaps expected, but Euron's part of this is not as clear in terms of the North the uh Danny and John's team. They don't necessarily know about Euron, at least not yet. So because on its own, Theon going to rescue his sister when there's like the Great War and all these huge epic things happening seems kind of small potatoes. So, yeah, uh, but I'm glad. So I'm glad they found a way to tie that into the bigger picture. So we'll have to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, how about John and Danny?
3: Very major scene here.
0: Very, very major. With yeah. obviously it was one of those things that no one. That I know was remotely surprised that this happened, but it was not necessarily a sure thing, especially not a sure thing this season.
3: Mm-hmm. Kind of makes
0: sense that it would happen, you know, during the finale. But same. this, was,
3: this led, was led up to by this conversation that John and Danny had at the Dragon Pit, where they're talking about whether Danny can have children or not. And at least John is reasonable, and he's questioning whether a witch is a reliable source. I was like, <laughs> yeah, John, but like. It's the most I've liked him in a long time. I really appreciated that. But something else that's notable that I didn't actually realize myself, Adam uh, Whitehead, Adam Werthead um, from Atlas of Ice and Fire and all that, he pointed out that... Mary never says the children or womb part of the prophecy in the show um back when that happened I went back and watched the scene and she just doesn't say it of course Danny said that she said it so we have to assume that she said it off screen but yeah. we that also means we can't know exactly what the words were it's it's an awkward thing for anything to happen off screen like that yeah it's
0: a weird continuity error but it's still canon because Danny says that it was said you know it's it's awkward we can we have to assume it happened off screen even though the prophecy was said while we're all watching so maybe it was just he can we can assume that she said it was for a different reason maybe it wasn't prophecy related she could say oh you give a child bear a child like that a a monstrous baby then you're not gonna have any more kids after that you know that maybe it's more of a scientific (laughs) quote reason either way it's awkward and that's being nice. But still, this is what we have. And she believes it to be true. It may or may not be true. It's being brought up. John's questioning it. Mm-hmm. So it's still a thing. We just It's yeah. just kind of hard to figure because it's so presented <sighs> so awkwardly.
3: The sex scene between Do- Jenny and John. I'll tell you, I, I promised one person I was going to have an image of it. But then I realized I didn't want us to get flagged for having anything inappropriate at all but uh uh, no two notable things about it to me one is that danny isn't sexualized at all we see john nude but not danny really much at all and two is that it's really it's very focused on their just their faces and this emotion passing their face and i thought Kit harrington and amelia clark did a pretty great job there as as awkward as i to me the the sex scene seemed like they were Awkward and dead fish, and you know, whatever. Uh, It it didn't seem super passionate or great, but they seemed like they cared about each other. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. They like, like John, uh, Kid Harrington said behind the scenes that they knew this was going to be a mistake, but they both couldn't. It was like a runaway train. They were into each other, and you know, that was that. (laughs) And uh, they also both had hilarious uh, reactions. Like, what is your thoughts? And they both made the gagging, like, ah.
4: <laughs> Which is
0: really funny to think about. It's like, Kid Harrington is gagging over doing a nude scene with Amelia Clark, and Amelia Clark is gagging over doing a nude scene
2: with John. Do, have they seen each other? <laughs> <laughs> Aziz, what kind of gagging are you talking about? Hey, <laughs> oh.
0: Uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so. Let's... Well, we have a super chat. Yeah, We're going, going to get to that into,
3: later. We're going to that later. Oh, okay, cool. Just Let's talk let me, about Tyrion's
0: watching. Um, now, there's a lead-up to this that is the conversation about whether Danny should fly to Winterfell or not. And there's a lot of subtle looks around the room. Jorah's like, Nah, don't fly. Don't go by, you know, carriage and boat. You got to fly there because a lot of people want to kill you. And... Jorah's always being cautious, but I don't, he's not wrong here. And, but she listens to John. She takes John's advice. It was kind of maybe what, maybe it would have been what she did anyway. But the point is, this sets up what Tyrion, one of the things Tyrion is worried about. Now this is a, there's a lot of things Tyrion has concerns with when he sees them. But one of them is that a romance between these two could cause all kinds of problems. If it doesn't go well, they might hate each other. If, if it goes kinda, if it goes really well, you know, in terms of them, then they may stop listening to other people as much. There may be too much bias. They may take each other's, ad- they may hold each other's advice over that of all their other counselors, which is kinda what those looks around the room were about, and they're like, uh-oh, there she's kinda just listening to John here. But there's also other factors, like Tyrion maybe is jealous. In fact, that's likely that he was jealous. So to differentiate between a romance and a political marriage, Tyrion wants them maybe to hook up politically, to have a a political alliance, maybe even a marriage. But a romance, a secret romance is not that. So it's really important to make that distinction. I see a lot of people who have asked us questions about this on Twitter and other places are not making that distinction. They're like, why isn't Tyrion happy that they're hooking up? He wanted this. No, he wants... A succession. He wants marriages. He doesn't want this secret, you know, secret banging. <laughs> That's not the same thing. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. What did you think, uh, Yoke Boy? Let's start with you there.
2: I, I just, you know, wonder about how it was portrayed. He was kind of watching outside the room, he was in the shadows. It was, you know, while two people were having sex. And to me, it clearly conveys stalkery weirdo behavior and you know i I'm guessing a lot of people felt the same but you know the in the the interview with the director he didn't seem to to agree so i I don't know what to me it was like what is Tyrion doing he's acting weird man
3: yeah I'll say uh I agree. I saw it as definitely a romantic tone to it, but that there's multiple reasons. You can be sad about the romance and also be worried about the state of, you know, the monarchy or whatever. Um, But I think there's some some meta things that should be considered. Um, You guys mentioned how the director disagreed, but there's a lot of other things that point towards this, um, towards uh, Tyrion actually having interest in her. There's this quote from Peter Dinklage from the beginning of the season, which I think is maybe the most damning. He says, we'll deal with how much Daenerys can trust him to stay on her side against the Lannisters but he's smitten with his employer how good can he be at his job while having these feelings I mean Peter Dinklage said that right before season 7 came out so and that says something to me and I think there, we talked about this preliminary outline for season seven where a lot of things were changed, so we can't take that too seriously, but there were some interesting quotes that I grabbed. Um, one is that the line where he, the, the section where he's viewing Danny and John's door and hearing the sounds, it says that he's troubled for more reasons than one, so in quotes, more reasons than one, so yeah. clearly there's multiple things going on here, Um it, some, there were some scenes with Bronn that were cut um, Conversations that he had with Tyrion that They didn't actually film And so he said this to Tyrion You're better off not wanting a girl like that Daenerys A girl like that is not manageable And earlier he says to, to Tyrion this, this is a quote from the outline Bronn looks over his shoulder at Jon Snow Handsome Bruner. Dragon queen fucking him yet? No? Bet she will be soon He's what they go for Him and your brother not us. We're never the one they go for. We're never the one they go for. We're the other one. It's sure shitty to be the other one. Braun catches sight of Jorah. Tyrion tells Braun who he is, reminding him that Jorah started out informing on Danny for Robert. And now he's just like you. Soon she'll have a string of you following her, following her around like baby ducks.
4: <laughs> and
3: they did cut those scenes, but I think that that's pretty striking um, that they wrote that in the first place. And it 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 tells me that we should be on the lookout for a potential romance here or a potential conflict. Um, Definitely. I also. Just to put it into context, I know some people have talked about age differences. Yeah. For them, and I wanted to put this into context for everyone. Um, the ages in the books and in the show for these four characters that we're talking about and romance. John is 17 in the books. Then 20, aged up, he's now 22 at this point in the show. Danny was sixteen and now twenty-two. Tyrion in the books was is would be twenty-seven. He's thirty-nine in the show, actually, and forty-eight in real life. So that's a a quite a big jump. Um, Jamie's
0: the the Lannister three are the most aged up of all. So he's
3: much 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 older than Danny in the in the show than he is in the books. They're actually quite close. Um, you know, as close you know, ten years is pretty close. Um, whereas Jorah is forty-six in the books and he might be as old as fifty-six in the show. So like he's He's easily at least 30 years older than Daenerys, um, just for context for when people talk about these age differences. I wanted to find that out. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, more about this outline. I don't want to put too much basis on this because they cut things out. Like, for instance, in the preliminary outline, Brienne and Podrick go beyond the wall and Brienne dies there. (laughs) <laughs> so, like, that's pretty different from what happens, ultimately, so we can't put too much stock in this. And we also had some, like, minor little things, like Olenna at the beginning of the season talking to Danny about her marrying a Tyrell male, which tells us there are still lots of Tyrell cousins, something we assumed. So, basically, this, this outline might tell us where season eight is going, so we're going to talk about it next week, but uh, I... I, I don't know. I can't ignore these meta details when I'm looking at whether or not Tyrion thinks of da- Daenerys romantically. I think 100% he does. Hmm. Um, I don't yeah. know about you guys. If you guys feel strongly one way or the other, you guys—if you guys think this is a scrapped plot line, if you think there won't be a romantic conflict next season, or you think there will be—I
0: think they'll. I, I think that Tyrion. I think it's legit that Tyrion has feelings for Daenerys, but I also think he realizes that nothing will come of it. I don't think he's. I don't think he's pining for her. I think he has feelings that he knows are not going to go anywhere, but they still are problematic for him to deal with because they're still strong feelings, but he's, I don't think he's under any illusions about how that would go, you know, or how badly, how it doesn't really make a lot of sense politically either. Do you guys have thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, no, I think they've, I don't think they've totally scrapped it. They may have stopped going full bore at it, but they've, did did some scenes where it was telegraphed that Tyrion had these feelings. The the scene where she was talking about John being too little, and you know there was this kind of awkwardness. And um, I don't I don't think they've totally given up on it. So, I...
3: yeah, I mean we had the foreign horror comment that Cersei makes about him being interested, and we even have this in previous seasons with him talking about Dario or Jorah or anything yep. like that.
0: Totally agree. We had a comment from patron Gail Krieger who said. Who kind of says similar things to what I was saying? Um, and again, I'm not saying this is the only thing. Like like Peter Dinklage himself says, there's multiple things going on here. Anyone who says it's only one thing, if you're saying it's just the jealousy or it's just the politics, I think you're wrong because it's it's not. It, there's no reason to. First of all, we can't know that. You know, you can't just take a look at Peter's face and make that kind of judgment. We don't know. So the safest guess is that it's multiple things, like Peter Dinklage says. Uh, anyway, patron Gail Krieger says. Suddenly, she is listening to and sleeping with John. It gives him considerable influence with her that others simply won't be able to compete with. I could be wrong, but I hate the idea of her small council being populated by the lovesick advisors. And then, like Bronn kind of said in that deleted line, that is kind of sort of how it's going. And they all, you know, can't speak honestly because they don't have, you know, they have these feelings getting in the way. And, you know, I guess that makes, uh, maybe that makes Varus and Missandei back. Maybe he should be listening, she should be listening to them more. (laughs) Bring them back into it.
3: Miss in love with Danny too. <laughs> Damn it!
0: <laughs> Everyone's in love with Danny. What do we do here? Uh, I tweeted. I tweeted this that I think kind of make maybe makes the uh, the problem for Tyrion in some ways a little clearer. Imagine the two most powerful people at your work, or the two people directly above you. Imagine them have getting hooking up in secret, and you're the only one who knows about it. Would you? Would you not get a very bad feeling about how work might go? From that point on, if this is happening, you can just imagine the drama or the bad decisions that get made. It just This is what Tyrion is faced with, but it's on a much larger scale. So I think there's a lot. It's really cool because there's a lot going on here. And it's another example of a face speaking volumes. Like Tyrion's, look, we just had this long conversation. Mm-hmm. We've been on this topic for quite a few minutes here. And it's really all based on you know, Tyrion's facial expressions and what's behind them. So that's cool. Um, boy, did you have a take on any of this or did we kind of cover it pretty well?
2: No, I think you guys have got it covered. You you thought about that aspect more than me. So, right on. Do you would you agree that incest is best? <laughs> I, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Don't don't go there. Okay. Just 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 watch it on TV. Just watch it on TV <laughs> every Sunday for six years. Yeah. Don't try this at <laughs> home, folks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Super chat from Elizabeth Chris. Could it hint to Tyrion taking the Lannister side now that his sister's preg and the conversation with Cersei was cut oddly? It could. We sort of touched on that earlier. But the problem is that Tyrion knows that Danny can't have kids. So he shouldn't really be worried about this union creating a child. And if it does, well, that almost makes it simpler. Uh, it makes it less simple in the fact that he's still going against his family. And if Cersei's having a child, he's against that child, which is, you know, a big problem for him. But if Danny has a child then all the succession issues are then he doesn't have to arrange this crazy difficult like how does he get Cersei and Danny to agree that Cersei's child will be the heir to both yeah. kingdoms how does he get that to happen like that's really going to be hard to pull off if J- if Danny just has a kid well, there you go. That's the air. You know, that, error. How, how do you
3: convince someone to do that and say you're not going to raise this child? You yeah. want to raise the child.
0: Yeah, um, it's pr- yeah that's the part of why this is just really difficult and why I'm down on this theory, even though clearly something happened when they cut away from that talk. I just don't know that it was such a big, big thing. It may have been, like you said, something fairly simple. All right, well, let's go to Winterfell because this is obviously, as Jon and Danny are doing it, you know, we've got voice, we've got brand. You know, kind of not exactly narrating it, but
3: uh, yeah, he is. He's a true. He's a, he's a true Targaryen. Cut to him having sex with his aunt. That's what happened there.
0: How about uh? How about, yeah, Sam should have been like, can you said that? Can you go see that? What? Like, can you see them? What they're doing right now? So um, yeah, so what did your Shay, You had a lot of notes here. Let's uh, let's see what you have to say about Sam and Brand. Yeah, here. I really,
3: I, I, I it was funny because he's asked me after the episode what my favorite scene was, and I was like. I told me to be negative, but none of the scenes were really standing out to me. I wasn't sure. And then maybe 20, 30 minutes later, I was like, duh, Sam and Bran. I love this scene with Sam's responses to Bran. I love the humor in it. Sam had these, you know, lack of responses, really. Sam, you know, Bran goes, I remember everything. And Sam just smiles, you know, and nods, basically. (laughs) you're like, what do you say to that? I remember everything, Okay. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, just like Sansa, like I'm a uh-huh. raven. I don't know what that means. <laughs>
3: uh, and then the other great uh, line I like uh, that Sam had was Bran goes, "I became the three eyed raven," and Sam goes, "Oh," not knowingly, <laughs> He's so and polite. then he goes. I don't know what that means, which is just so relatable, I think, to most people to just go along with something and then be like, wait, I actually want to know more about this. Does this
0: kid not realize how weird he sounds? I mean, come on, dude. But I thought it
3: was also really notable that in Bran's explanation to Sam, he said that he sees the past and the present, but there's no mention from Bran of him seeing the future, which it seems like he does because he's seen that dragon over King's Landing and maybe some other things. So it makes me think that Bran doesn't realize yet. Which makes sense. Why would he realize? How would he realize?
0: Yeah, can you? if any of you guys out there can think of an example of Bran, when a Bran's vision can, can, containing something that is unambiguously in the future from that point, let us know because we couldn't think of any. The dragon shadow over King's Landing is is a possibility, but there's no way for Bran to have that vision and know that that's a vision of the future. Because dragons have flown over King's Landing in the past plenty of times. That's doesn't tell us anything. I mean, it doesn't tell him anything, at least as far as that goes. So... That's kind of an open question, and maybe it's one of those things where his powers will grow, and then he'll, you know, be more aware or more possible to do that sort of thing, but maybe the show just doesn't want to go that direction. Showing the future just opens up a whole other can of worms, that they just don't want to go there, maybe. I could see that being a thing, also. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, does anyone else like the idea of fish cereal? You know, salmon bran? No, so I guess not. Salmon
3: brand? Oh, salmon brand. I didn't get it. Salmon, didn't okay. sal- so sal- salmon, 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 salmon. Okay. Again,
0: like Theon. I was thinking of the if band If you have to fish. explain
1: the joke, you it's no good. I
3: was thinking of
1: the band Fish. Oh, Fish. That's yeah. exactly <laughs> where I went. <laughs> they have some weird songs. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: they have a song called "Down with Disease" that my friends like to say "Down with Aziz."
1: Oh, I could see that. I'm- I love that song. <laughs>
3: people point out that Bran saw the wildfire go off and if he saw the wildfire go Ooh. off, that's maybe something mm. that he should realize You're he right. should see the future because that's a big event that he would have learned about.
0: There you go. That's a so. perfect example. That's pretty unambiguously a thing because that wildfire detonation did not happen in the past. Yeah. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so, but, but more seriously, Sam and Bran, yeah. will do you guys think this is a possible pairing in the books? Or, I mean, not possible. Of course it's possible, but yeah. you guys think this is likely. Pairing? Are you talking about shit from <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm talking about them hooking up and Sam being like, mm-hmm. hey, I found this in a book. Can you verify this? Can I, you know, mm-hmm. can you go check this? Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, but
1: um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess logistically, I'm... Um... But, I mean, who knows? I mean, We've got a lot of books left to go, so I I could... I
3: mean, I think yeah. some of us were thinking Bran was staying in the cave, so it's totally out of left field for us to think about these two characters interacting in a serious way like that. So I'm generally maybe more negative about the idea, but I want it to be the case. I would love it.
0: Yeah, it would just create so many possibilities. That would be... Man, that would be great. And if you point out if Sam
3: were to write A Song of Ice and Fire after the fact, mm-hmm. it would be much easier if he had Bran's, you know skills to do that.
0: Okay, got a couple couple super chats here.
3: Yeah, we do, from Susan Plumley. Does Bran remember that it was Jamie who pushed him from the window? And if so, how will John react towards Jamie, assuming Jamie is net headed north? It's a great question. We really can't say. I, I think, think if
0: I think that it'll go kind of the way John's enemies have gone. In other words, if mm-hmm. if if they're committed to fighting the you know, the Army of the Dead, Bran will forgive them. As we've said, Bran isn't really Brand anymore. Mm. I don't know that he is capable of feeling vindictive. He may, you know, be like, hey, that's the guy who pushed me out of the window. And other people might get vindictive. But if he, if Jamie is, you know, earnest in his presentation, was like, Hey, I'm here to help. And he's by himself, you know, like he shows up by himself. What's he going to pull? You know, of course, he's there to help. So I, I think it'll probably be one of those things that's maybe a little tense, but gets resolved.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, next super chat, unless you guys have any thoughts or you think there'll be any conflict from that, or yeah,
0: do you guys have no, text on about the?
2: I was just thinking about where we are in the books. So Bran, a couple of times, remembers it quite blurry. You know, he remembers there's something golden about it, but he doesn't. He doesn't piece together. It was Jamie, as far as I remember. That's where we are, but it's hinted that he's starting to kind of slowly remember. So mm. who knows? Uh,
3: to move on. We have another super chat here from waxed paper from wax waxed paper door. John's real name means that egg. I dreamed I was old. From Maester Amon's last words is now a hundred percent sadder. I don't think that was possible. I think that's the saddest line in the whole series. <laughs> <And laughs> Making it, it sadder.
0: No, it really is a strong contender for the saddest line in the series. It's one of the saddest lines I've ever read in any book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a cool... Oh, here's a here's a good one. Do you guys think... Uh, do you guys have any takes on that? Or is that... I guess that kind of st- stands does, for... It, or yeah. speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Oh, you made us all sad now.
3: <laughs> uh, will you read that one? Yeah, nice? from
0: Elizabeth Chris. Would a bookworm kill a tree wizard? <laughs> That's the kind of question I can appreciate. Nice one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Bookworms are the the, the bane of all tree wizards. Yeah.
3: Uh, mm. Before we move on to Rhaegar and Liana, I had a couple other things. One, uh, Sam asked if, if Bran saw that John and Danny were returning into Vision, but it was just a He this, just holds the letter and was like, ha <laughs> ah, ha. Really funny nice. uh, comedic duo there, I think. Um, but also, it's like, Maybe clarification. I don't know if it's maybe a strong word, but a lot of people have been calling out Sam for not crediting Gilly, and I think that was mostly a joke people calling him out. But I just want to say that Sam clearly read that boring book for work, and that's why he cut her off originally. That he knew what he was like, I know this. Yeah,
0: he'd already said, I copied I, this yeah, diary. I, th-
3: I think that Gilly's saying it was for the audience's, you know, benefit and for humor. And and maybe there's something else. And maybe to there, keep it,
0: maybe, you know, make us think, well, did yeah. Sam realize what just happened? Yeah. But he did. He just didn't have all the dots to connect. He didn't know that Rhaegar and Lyanna's kid was, yeah. he didn't have any reason but, to connect that to Jon.
3: Yeah. Ultimately, you know? I think that scene, Gilly was actually, you know, super, superfluous and not very important when we know that he just knew it and it could have played out a lot of different ways. Oh how sweet! From words are wind, but words are wind. This doesn't mean anything, I guess. They said, "I crown a shea queen of love and beauty." But okay, they said that they spent money on it, so words are wind, but money hold is, hard cash is,
0: is real. Yeah, eleven
3: eleven too. Uh, no <laughs> thank you.
0: Point. Words are wind. Yeah, I agree you. with that.
3: <laughs> with um, the crowning.
0: Okay, so Lady Gwyn, take us away. You are our resident R plus L equals J expert. So. Let's let you uh, get us get us into this.
1: Okay. i um, happy to get into this. This was a really surreal moment for a lot of us to really hear those words said out loud after so many years of speculating and arguing, which um, incidentally is not going to end because we still haven't seen them written on the page. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> so there's always that. Um, but really... Um, just wow! What a moment! And um, you know, I I wanted to really savor it. It did end up to me feeling a little bit rushed because I I just would have liked to have more greater explication about Robert's rebellion. They kind of dropped that in, and how did that come to pass? Why, you know, they show them, you know, do it with this marriage ceremony, and you know, kind of maybe more putting all the pieces together for the viewer who may not remember all those little hints that have been scattered across several seasons um so i you know take another 60 seconds or so and tie it, yeah. tie it yeah. all back together for people yeah. that might have forgotten all the little things but but overall i mean it was just it was very emotional i was really happy to see it on screen although you kind of alluded to this before. I think the intertwining of Rhaegar and Lyanna and John and Danny during that particular moment was kind of icky. It, it, and yeah, it, for it, sure. Aside from that, it just it felt a little wrong because I would have liked to really like savor that moment for Rhaegar, Lyanna, and John um, as their little you know, their little family group, they're kind of the most famous fictional family that never was. And um, I didn't get to enjoy that sort of moment, because they kind of dragged Danny into it. Um, but, you know, overall, uh, I was really happy to see this kind of happening on screen before my eyes. So
3: yeah, it was great to finally see these two together, Rhaegar and Lyanna, and I definitely agree with you that we're not asking for much, we're asking for more than 20-15 seconds of footage <laughs> of the two, uh, you know, more than some vows said out loud. So I, I do agree with you, that was maybe my biggest disappointment of the episode, to be honest, is that I was so hyped up for this flashback, and it was so short, and honestly... Rhaegar looked awfully disappointing to me. And lots of people will point out that it's said outright in the books that Viserys had the same hair, that Rhaegar had the same hair as Viserys, but I don't think that means they had the necessarily the same wig. <laughs> I think they I think they do have a family wig. It's the exact same hair, and I'm gonna put it on screen here. You can even see that Ares the Mad King had the same haircut. He just didn't do anything so fancy as pull some hair back. He was a little more unkempt. Yeah. But they did have the same hair, and I think that was meant to you know, make the audience uh, comfortable and familiar with who this character was, to make it very clear. Again, the lowest common de- denominator thing. But I think it might have backfired because a lot of people thought that this was Viserys. So I think they made them look too similar. I mean, you can see there, they're wearing like very similar clothes and hairstyle, and we don't really get a good look at his face during that. But whatever reasons they decided to do this in a meta level, I like to look at why they could decide to do this in-world, you know, why why this happened, if there is an explanation, and... Viserys' clothes being so much like Rhaegar's and his hair, I really like the idea that Viserys was emulating Rhaegar, that he looked up to him and that he saw him as like I, I want to be like a Targaryen, a true Targaryen. Dressed and so, up like
0: his older brother. Dressed up yeah, like makes him. It sad.
3: It's really sad. It really <laughs> depressed me, honestly. I feel so bad for Viserys now.
0: Yeah. It's uh, there's a good that's a good catch. I didn't I never that didn't you know, it's kinda of funny to think about it in, in you know, in retrospect. It's like, oh yeah. It fits really well like that. It's both, you know, for the people who didn't necessarily understand what was happening, the wider fandom, it was important to to have these visual reminders to kind of clue people in, but it has this other effect, this meta effect, which is really interesting. Did he, any of you guys have, like, random friends or family members you rarely hear from, like, message you to be like, okay, so what is John and Danny's relationship?
4: Yes.
1: Yeah, that's been going on for a couple of weeks. People are just like, wait, are they cousins, brothers, yeah. it what, uh, half-sister? What? Uh.
0: Yeah. Multiple uh, Facebook messages from people I, like, never talk to are like, what's John and Danny's relationship? Uh, like,
2: is, are they sister? Are they brother-sister or half-brother? What is going on? Yeah. Is, is this in the in the vein of, am I allow, uh, allowed to enjoy these scenes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or should I be feeling quite yeah. guilty now? How gross? Exactly how gross
0: is this? <laughs> right. Is
2: it just really gross or just kind
0: of gross? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I guess we got a super chat no, here. I,
3: I have those for after this section. I, okay, I don't great. want us to get off topic again. Like this. Sorry, super chatters, but I'm taking control now that I'm in control. <laughs> uh, I'm not letting Aziz just go off on tons of other things. So, um, But uh, so there is this... Uh, before we knew for sure whether Rhaegar was going to be there, there was lots of rumors flying about about this actor Wilf Scolding whether he was playing Rhaegar, and there seemed to be a lot of clues. So I was quite sure we were going to see him, and that's who it was. But he tweeted after the episode using the hashtag "Who's Your Daddy." <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: I just love it when the actors get into it, yeah.
0: and that name—yeah, the name Wilf Scolding. Uh, yeah, yeah Wilf Scolding—that is a good name. Yeah. Uh. uh
3: But uh, I wanted to also point out something else that I just couldn't unsee, and I I, I normally wouldn't point it out, but I saw other people on Twitter point this out, that the shots of Rhaegar and Lyanna just really made me think of Padme and Anakin Skywalker. Just reverse
0: the hair colors. Yeah,
3: just reverse the hair. Yeah. <laughs> From the uh, Star Wars prequels. Especially because Iceland, Francois, however you say it, I totally mask her. It's not that. It's Aussie or some weird thing. Not weird. But, she looks a lot like Matt, Natalie Portman, but uh, this is very similar. Like, they're in these green, idyllic situations, and Everything they do is going to screw things up later. <laughs> they just are making a huge mistake here. And so I can't help but think of the two of them right there. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: So, uh, uh, Aegon I mean, and Aegon.
3: Yeah, we've seen a lot of jokes about that. I think uh, your favorite disease was probably the the new heart joke. The new heart joke. This is
0: my this is my. Uh, hi, I'm Rainey's. This is my brother Aegon, and this is my, my other brother, brother Aegon. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this has been very controversial. A lot of people are like, "There's no way George made two Aegons," and a lot of people are like. Ah, this uh, is probably what George intended, uh, and yeah, so it's really tough. I don't think that there's a definitive thing here, but I think I think it could be Aegon. I think it could be Aemon. What do you guys think? Well, actually, first, uh, before anything, Brand's yeah, take is the funniest of all.
3: Brand's take is that he's John Sand. You yeah, just that's, just like, that's, man, that's just wrong. That's man, This is wrong. The guy that's that can see everything. Make any <laughs> sense?
0: Brand. <laughs> he can see. He can't see what's written in the books because <laughs> yeah. that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's not how it works. Open. He's <laughs> not John Sand. To be, to
3: be clear, you're you. you gain the name of a region if you're raised there or if your parents are from there and that that raised you so you could be uh, you know you could be a sand everybody already knows
0: john was born in the south yeah even though the the, the mystery of his parentage is a thing everybody no one thinks he was born it's not like
3: he's now has a dornish mother and then maybe you can make some argument even then it's no his name is john snow
0: yeah (laughs) It, it defaults to the father's noble house or to the region if it's a tiebreaker, like for example, Brendan Rivers and Agor Rivers. Their father was the king, and the, and he, you know, made ever made it known that wasn't a secret. So if you think if it's by father, you know, you would go they would be Agor Waters. Hmm. But you know, their mothers were noble parents, yeah. so they the default was the. You know that noble parent because they lived there in the Riverlands.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, so it would be brand silly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Silly. So that was really
0: funny. As brand was being pedantic and wrong. <laughs> 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 okay, so let's talk about Aegon or Aemon or let's 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 hash this out mm-hmm. because it's uh pretty pretty interesting and, and fraught with controversy. Mm-hmm. Never has a name been so controversial.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. uh, okay, so uh, I guess you know the show. Saying it's Aegon, you know, if you're a betting, if you're a betting person, you'd you'd think the smart money was it on being Aegon and it being the same. However, I, I think there is like some element of doubt because they do mess around with names. You know, if, if it had been Aemon, for oh, just let me be Devil's Advocate, if it had been Aemon, they might not have wanted two Aemon Targaryens, like they didn't want two Walders. So they chained H- Hodor to Willis, and they they changed. Um, they changed Asher to Yara because it was too similar to Osha. So, you know, there is precedent of them messing around with names because they, they don't think that it's the name itself that's important. They think it's the clarity which is important. So So I think there is some kind of element of doubt and enough to make it interesting, you know, who wants to be ruined on the surprise? We'll have to wait for the books for like the 100%.
0: Yeah, both of them work. I mean, they both make sense. There's so much, there's compelling, there's a lot of foreshadowing for it being Aemon. And there's just a lot of, it would fit really well if it was Aegon. Basically, I mean, imagine you have Aegon the sixth and Aegon the seventh. I mean, and Aegon, that's this adds new tension to the slaying the live, who's the real Aegon, you know? And you have, he could be Aegon. If John is Aegon, then he's Aegon the seventh. And the seven has all the significance. So. Yeah, I can't decide which works better. At first, I was like, oh, it's definitely Aegon. You know, I, I, I immediately did an about face on thinking it was Aemon. But then, thinking about it more, I was like, no, it still could be Aemon. Lady Gwen, what do you think?
1: Well, I think, you know, I always thought it was going to be Aemon. Um, there's that great line in John's point of view where he thinks just Nor was he Aemon Targaryen. Uh, yeah. It's a great quote. The, I always thought that one was one of the big foreshadowing, sort of ones, yeah. foreshadowing or, you know, ironic foreshadowing but maybe it's just literal these no actually he's not aemon targaryen he's aegon targaryen um it's so it's hard to say i mean you know like yoke boy said it's conceivable as showrunners just used aegon so that they could simplify things you know because their whole history of not wanting to have duplicate or confusing names um on the other hand, we have two Aegons in The Dance of the Dragons, the second and the third, the Elder and Younger. So, you know, we know George loves t- his historical parallels. So, you know, these could be that we're really just being set up for the sixth and the seventh here in the books. Um, we have a friend, um, Jay stargarian from Westeros.org, who pointed out that the Elder Brothers comments about Rhaegar's rubies, um, which a lot of fans have long speculated have some symbolism that just seems somehow significant and maybe specifically about the family or the Targaryen family. The specific quote is, six have been found. We're all waiting for the seventh. So, you know, if John is Aegon the seventh, well, um, six Aegons have been found apparently so far in the story uh, it'd be great if we were just waiting for the seventh to be revealed yeah, both
2: technically
3: fit so a well. lot yeah. more than six <laughs> I <think laughs> six official ones but there have been quite well, a few king,
2: king, that's a
0: kingly yeah, title yeah, 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 kingly title.
3: title, no yeah. it is
0: but you're hey, right, a ton I, of I've, Agons.
2: Got, I, I've got a joke, uh, what does cool. Rhaegar like for breakfast? what? <laughs> two eggs <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's Aziz-level shit. This is what doing this every yes. week with Aziz does to you. Yeah. <laughs> we have a comment from
0: Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, our first sword. He says, if this holds in the books, then we will have Aegon versus Aegon, with most of Westeros not really believing that Aegon is Aegon. Well, everyone just says they are backing Aegon in ambiguous fashion as the two Aegons battle it out to see who is the supreme Aegon. Yeah. Team
1: <laughs> Yes. I just think we we're going to have Fagon <laughs> and Raygon or... How how will we deal with this in the fandom?
0: (laughs) It's really cool. Yeah. I think the book readers won't be so confused. (laughs) Multiple egons isn't so confusing for book readers. And uh, yeah, so (laughs) that's all pretty good here. So there's uh, the other question is, John when John finds this out, well, there's a lot more questions, but, but another question is, when John finds this out, is there any chance he changes his name? Does he start going by Aegon Targaryen?
3: No, I don't think so. And we even have that quote from *A Dance with Dragons* from John one, where they Stannis says, "I offered you a name." John says, "I have a name, Your Grace, which mm. is of course about the Stark name, but it could also yeah. be about a first name."
0: I think he would prefer the name that uh, his his father gave him, not his sire. You know, the because he does, you know, he believes. Uh, um, you know, he believes that Ned is his father, even though it's not his sire. I think that'll probably be how that goes, too. So, real tricky, real tricky. so, so as chat we've... from
3: Emma Smith. Oh. We would get an egg pun from Yoke Boy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you're a scrambled egg. <laughs> uh, you guys, see? This is it. This is what infiltrates my brain every week. And then I start coming out with rubbish jokes every week. Yep. Yep. Uh
0: Danny's got egg on her face. That was okay. another one that came Oh out. come on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but uh that I, I, that
2: was all, almost sexual as well as these <laughs>
3: double points. I don't know about
2: almost. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: So I'd say I guess you three are Team Amon in the books—is his name? Or you th- would you say you're Aegon's? now?
0: I'm now like not sure. I I'm was Team sure. Full Team Amon. Full Team Amon. Yeah, I'm certain.
3: still full. This has not changed my opinion one bit, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again many times. I am Team Jon Visenya Snow.
0: I don't. <laughs> I, I
3: think Rhaegar <laughs> thought he was going to have a girl. He wanted three heads of dragon. I think that's what he wanted.
0: Vossenia. Yeah, he couldn't know it was going to be a girl. I, th- I, or I a don't lawyer. think
3: he couldn't have known. I I think he only planned for a girl, and so Lyanna just didn't have a boy's name. She's left in the lurch.
0: So that is the, by the way, that that segues us to the other, one of the other. As if, I keep saying there's only one other question. Yeah, no, One other big question is here. Yeah, did Rhaegar name him Aegon? Was that part of the prophecy that he would be named Ra- Rhaegar? Or so did, did Lyanna make take that on to herself? Because technically when John was born, Rhaegar, the other Aegon, and Elia and Rhaenys were all dead. So. Yeah. So you know,
3: that could be what she then came up with. I think I think I choose that. It's that Rhaegar didn't tell her that it was Aegon that he, he should name him Aegon. then Lyanna was like, I'm. This is the all that's left of the Targaryens. It should be Aegon.
0: Yeah. So you can see why. I see. Like you said, like Boy, you said this earlier, and it really, as we've discussed it all here and, and laid it all out for everyone, what you said is really even more true now, which is they're both possible, and that makes it more fun. Because we, the mystery remains. We don't now, we're not like, oh, his name's Aegon, you know, in the books. Now we just, yeah. we still don't know. We just have, now we have something else to consider. So that's kind of cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we had some super, s- chats. super chats that we uh, haven't yeah, gotten here we to. Go, up there. They uh, are both sort of related to this. They're
3: related to this, but they, yeah, it was better to have this. First, uh, Susan Plumley, do you think the show could be combining the book Phagon and John as Aegon storylines as far as the Golden Company, possibly switching to his sides?
4: Ooh,
3: I don't see a conflict between John and Danny, to be honest, for next season. I just don't see there actually being any serious conflict because they know there's so many more important things. I don't, and, and and even without that, I don't think John cares about the throne. Yeah. You, any other thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. It's possible. Rage, yeah, did say. Uh, Bringing the Golden Company in is a having the Golden Company yeah, a storyline include their Targaryen slash Blackfire history seems unlikely, but that is kind of a way to like adapt it. You know that would make sense to kind of give some of that stuff to Jon. But I agree with you, O'Shea, that Danny and Jon's conflict will exist, but it won't get to the level of marshaling armies against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, any other takes on that? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next super chat.
3: Glab do five <clears> thousand. Is the book Phaegon plot built on someone's Connington's hidden knowledge of John existing rather than the other Aegon being spirited away? Mm. I would think it would be built built on him not knowing. I guess.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Hmm. That is an interesting yeah, question. Thought,
3: though. I, I think he would have had to not know about Rhaegar having another son because yeah. it's not about it being little Aegon who was who was you know maybe killed there for for Connington. It's about it being Rhaegar's son. So if it was if John is Rhaegar's son, I, I, he would care about that. He
0: would, yeah. If he if it's proven to him, you know, if he can, that's the, that's always the rub is he has to it has to be he has to believe it and. That is going to be difficult, but if he believes it, then that would really matter. Especially if somehow he finds out that Fagon isn't really a Targaryen, which is pretty likely. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, doesn't that make his arc all the much all the more tragic if he finds yeah. out that he's backed a fake Targaryen and Rhaegar's hmm. real son has been out there all along without him knowing yeah. about it?
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but at no point does John Connington think of Liana. He does, he doesn't. He was banished from yeah. Westeros before Lyanna. No, no but, well, no, he wasn't. He was ba- banished during the war. Rhaegar had already run off with Lyanna. He, so. John, certainly John certainly is aware of Lyanna, but I don't know. what he Does he say anything
1: about it? He doesn't. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that he might have been among the group of, of men that was went to the Riverlands with him. Because, you know, he went, oh. went with an unnamed group. So, Damn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, so I think that's enough uh Aegon, Egon, John, Danny talk for now. We spent a lot of time on it, but there's a lot more we can cover in future live streams. We'll certainly have plenty of time to think about it. More things will come out, more theories will arrive, more book references will appear. All of us not all of us, a lot of us are gonna reread the books considering these new information. Maybe looking for clues that John's name is Aegon, mm-hmm. looking for clues that, you know, Jamie and Cersei stuff, looking for clues about the ice dragon and all this stuff. It's just a really I'm excited for this next reread. This next reread. I've done so mm-hmm. many.
3: Super chat from Ashley Bailey. That's my last name. Do you think <laughs> Varys knows John's parentage? I don't.
0: I don't think no, he does. I, I don't think, think if they if they say, if I'm they, they introduce it, he book. does. Yeah, I'm still so, thinking show. Still
3: thinking show. You think it's yeah. different in the books? You think he knows? Mm, I don't
0: think he knows in uh, the books either. Okay. He might though. I mean, he was around. He was yeah, around. I um, uh, what I
3: mean, do you guys I, I, give, I give him a lot more credit in the books than I do in the show based yeah. on how much he dropped the books. I think a lot more likely in
0: the books, yeah. What do you guys think, uh, Lady Gwen Yokeboy? Any any thoughts on Varys knowing about this parentage in the books?
1: I think prob- I think not, because I think, like Connington, it'll be the sort of, you know, that piece that takes his whole, you know, Varys has this beautiful plot that extends back decades into history and forward into, you know, what's happening now. And this this to be the one thing that kind of takes it out would be pretty yeah amazing.
2: it'd be if, great wouldn't it if if john has kind of ruined all these <laughs> nefarious plans <laughs> just by being you know, the oversight yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that would be an interesting kind of
0: taking the wind out of varus's sails if he knows there's a real because to him i don't think it matters that it's actually rhaegar's son the point is to get their candidate on the throne not rhaegar's son they just mm-hmm. yeah. making him seem like rhaegar's son is sells the lie mm-hmm. and makes it work but to them that's not like a Something they actually care about personally. Uh,
3: super chat from Frey Seagrove Nelson. That's a good first name for <laughs> fit, Very nice. fitting. Uh, was John the baby Aegon from Danny's House of the Undying Vision? No. So
0: definitely not. Uh, Elia and Rhaegar's holding that baby when he's born. And Rhaegar was dead for months when John was born. So, Or had been dead for months when John was it, born. So that, is, that is the real. It's being
2: f- confirmed as, as Rhaegar, Elia, and. The original Aegon. Aegon yeah. hashtag one. <laughs> yeah, one dash six.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we need we need new, new terminology to, to, to describe all these different Aegons. <laughs> um, right. Okay, so let's move on to uh, the other aspects of Winterfell, the Sansa Littlefinger stuff. So look, boy, take us away.
2: Yes, yeah, so. Uh, Maybe Littlefinger's weakness. There's a there's a weakness in every every big schemer. I think that that's something from the books that you kind of learn to understand. And Littlefinger's, you know, quite obviously was, was Sansa, dating back to you know her mother, and probably seeing seeing uh, elements of her mother in in young Sansa. There, the the theme that we've talked about over the course of you know these episodes we've been doing is the student becoming the master I said in previous weeks that both Bran and Arya had kind of surpassed their masters in some way in the story and that that's probably what their journeys away were, were ultimately about and that you know to, to complete the story then Sansa had to do the same and you know she's done Sansa fanatics have been saying this for years now years on end and it, I thought that it was nice to see Littlefinger die, but I think the sequence was kind of marred, in my opinion, by the writing of the, the build-up and previous weeks, uh, and maybe even stretching back to Sansa's over-brutalised and under-learned arc over many seasons now. But n- now the Stark kids have returned from their journeys and their training, you know, it, it, it makes stories telling sense. The next step that they start to work together and set aside any differences. And it, it was it was great to see that. That That's, that again, that's classic storytelling, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Do you wonder how similar this might be to the books? That's one of my big questions is this whole scene. So Lady Gwen tell us what you think and include your thoughts on whether this, how much this could or could not apply to the books.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we... we... We talked about this um, last week, this quote, when the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies and the pack survives. We all knew that was coming. We had kind of narrowed it down to being in this episode. But we combine that with um, the famous quote from Ned, if you would take a man's life, you owe it to him to look into his eyes and hear his final words. And so we get this kind of compelling narrative from the Stark siblings um, working now as a pack passing the sentence, hearing the final words, and then swinging the sword. And they, they did that, um, you know, kind of in three part, just the three of them. So um, I do think that was um, that was well done, and it was satisfying to see Littlefinger die at last. I do agree with Yoke Boy that, you know, I it was marred by some of the writing choices they made. I'm, I'm still... Yeah. Not psyched with <laughs> some of it. Um, but regarding, you know, books, is is this like the books? I really think, I still think that it will be Sansa, I think, for a lot of reasons, and particularly going back to the Ghost of High Heart um, and her predictions about the maid that was clearly Sansa killing a savage giant in a castle made of snow. It, it, mm. In my heart, I've always felt like that's Sansa killing Littlefinger, so... I think it'll play out more like that in the books. So.
0: Cool. Yeah. So Yoke Boy, when did you, at what point in the scene did you realize what was up? Did you figure, do you figure it out before or were you just like right down to the wire like, oh, cool. Oh, in in, in the, in the moment where, the twist, when Sansa summons her sister, says t- tells the guard to summon her sister I, and as then going into the uh, moment, t- yeah.
2: To, to be honest, I was really confused by by this arc. And, you know, a lot of people have been confused, like still now, they're saying, yes. "Was Sansa and Arya acting last week, or was it real? And, you, you know, even very learned kind of scholars of Game of Thrones have been confused. So I was like, I don't get this. It, I, it, it didn't, like, suck me in, and I, I didn't fully understand it until it, you know, came into fruition. Well,
1: how about you, Lady Gwynn? Um, pretty much right at the last moment. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> well, I had, but I have to say that, you know, I, this is how I expected it. Well, I expected this to go like this in the book. So I, I had been very frustrated over the past couple of episodes as I vocalized here. Um, so, you know, I was very glad of the outcome, but it, you know, it was so in in a sense i was surprised because i had i kind of given up on that um but it wasn't surprised like yes it was more of like a, oh wow pleasantly surpri- surprised and relieved <laughs> wow,
2: thank that, you that
1: we finally gotten to this point um it's
2: a relief when, when they when when something like hits the note you're like oh thank god that happened yes,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I'm still not really psyched with the path they took to get there. Um, it you know, was, it I, was a bad path. We can we can say. I, yeah, I think I'll
3: say that that's not good TV. I think they even yes. confirmed
1: something that we talked about last time that they um, they wrote this the the sequence backwards. You know, and we did discuss that last week about how they—that's what you
2: said, isn't it? Last week you said it seems like it's being written back. They knew the answer, <laughs> and they knew sort they of ind- here, and they
1: just kind of backfilled, <laughs> they it, yeah, yeah. And they did admit it, I think, in the after episode. So I don't know. I think they they could have um, done a little bit of a better job at it. And obviously, the books are going to have an easier um, time showing internal character development and stuff. But yeah. well, you know, it is what it this is. This was <laughs> like.
0: If you watch the scene again, it's really funny when you your re- your yeah. perspective is so much different. When Sansa sits there and closes her eyes and kind of thinks really, and then opens them and then like goes to the guard, go get my you know go get my sister. It's like. It's, it's so much different when you realize, okay, I'm about <laughs> to have Littlefinger killed. I need Arya for that. <laughs>
3: for, for me, I talked about this earlier, I knew what was going to happen here, and I, I felt so bad for people during the week in between episodes where they were so upset about what was going on. I just wanted to be like, no, just hold on. It's not that. <laughs> it's bad TV, but it's not that. But when I was watching it, it seemed so obvious to me, everything that was happening, that this was a, that this was a ploy, and that was the case for Cersei as well, the less obvious. But, um, you know, once you know, it just seems really clear to me. To me so i was like i was like looking around the room seeing if anyone knew if anyone was seeing that there was something fishy going on here and no one <laughs> was and then and then aziz started going oh oh mm-hmm. oh and yeah. he started like saying sounds like every line i was like well aziz knows so. i figured it out
0: because of brand brand's presence gave it away it's like no yeah. way is sansa killing yeah. Arya in front of brand right. that was what gave it away to me i was like oh brand's presence is the real tell and also the angle, the angle of Cersei looking at, or of Sa- Cersei, whoa, Sansa looking at Bran right when she turns her head, it was that angle where she could turn her head, it was that side view, and it was like, it was like ah, it's coming, I, yeah, right. I started giggling. And we
1: even talked about it real early in the season, how Bran would be the one... To deliver, to give that knowledge of, you know, Littlefinger with a knife at his father's throat. So, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but their That's bad writings just made me kind of give up yeah. on all that. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: And they uh, tricked
0: us. There was a different way to trick you. It's
3: <laughs> a trick because this is a trick because these are two characters that are POV characters for us. Three yeah. characters because Bran's involved. And for us, the audience to just not see these scenes to trick us is it's just really poorly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All around, I, I, it's, it's a hallmark of bad tv from a, quite a while ago where that's what they would do for the drama and there's been a couple of things this season where something has happened off screen and we just have to explain that it happened off screen whereas it, i feel like it's a big enough important of thing that it should be on screen
0: yeah mm-hmm. and so it's, if we can unpack kind of what happened yeah sansa wasn't like playing little finger the whole time she kind of was but she was legitimately concerned about Arya, and then as she kind of alludes to, she says, "I'm a slow learner, but I learn," and that kind of tell kind of explains it in a vague way. She figured out what was going on after processing it all, but there's there's also a deleted scene that we should probably refer to that. Um, Isaac comes, Apparently, there was a scene where Sansa goes to Bran and is like, "Hey."
3: Is that a deleted scene, or is it from like, or is it from the preliminary outline? Okay, yeah, it, maybe it wasn't actually that. ever filmed. Either way, yeah. a lot of that stuff we're going to talk about next week. This isn't one of them, but a lot of it I, I worry about it being spoilery for people who don't want season eight speculation. I so
0: think. this wouldn't this this wouldn't be season eight stuff because if Sansa's talking to Bran in, in this either cut scene or cut outline, scene, well, I think it was. He, Sansa asking Bran to verify some of the stuff. Yeah, I think he said
3: so one of the things people said was in that scene. I again, I haven't checked it or seen if it was in the outline or if it, what what the deal was, but uh, was that he talked about seeing Sansa and Arya's destinies?
0: Yeah, yeah. which
3: That says something to me. I, I, hmm. I'm just on trying to be cautious about people who don't. want One to person
0: here it. saying it was a deleted scene. Not, not It was a film scene. Not from the
3: preliminary deleted. outline. Okay. Okay.
0: okay, so we'll see it probably in the in a, on the yeah you know, great when they release the season seven Blu-ray and all that. So, uh we'll have to see what we well, we had to talk about that more when it comes out. But let's talk about Littlefinger's actual death, you know, the just the, the meaning of it. Like his arc comes to to a conclusion. He's been a character that's been around since the beginning. So it's a pretty major death. I mean, this is we've talked about how the show doesn't do major deaths as much as it used to, but really what it's happened, what's really what's happened is that there's been kind of a separation. There's kind of what you might call a main character, but there's two tiers. There's, like, the core characters, and then there's the major characters. They've stopped killing the core characters, but they still kill major characters. A major character is, like, Olena or Baelish, but a core character is Sansa or Arya. And they're not those characters. Just none of the core characters have died in a while. But plenty of major, quote-unquote, major characters have. Even this season, where which has less death, there's still a lot of, you know, important characters that aren't around anymore.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that's an important uh, distinction to make. Um, but yeah, Littlefinger had one really interesting observation before his death, which is that he figured out the Dan- Danny and uh, John thing. He's like, "Yeah, they're gonna hook up," <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's certainly right. So that's maybe another lesson that uh, that the, maybe one of the final lessons for him to impart to Sansa. Because I wonder what Sansa is gonna think about John and Danny being together. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing that we haven't explored. That we'll maybe talk about some other time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so. Sansa Arya having their little thing out on yeah. the on the their little kind of talk afterwards was, was kind of nice. Hmm. Um, what did you uh, what did you think about this, Lady Gwyn?
1: About Sansa and Arya,
0: Sansa and Arya coming to their little last little meeting on the on the battlements there.
1: Um, I thought it was you know kind of the culmination of. Um, it was in line with what I had hoped would happen, you know that they're they're finally working together and you know the the call back to their father. Um, I did like the I did like that little scene. It was just such a relief to me. So
3: <laughs> I bet <laughs> I bet. I would have been stressed out about it too if I had been spoiled. These times like that are when I'm, I'm really glad that I know certain things, because otherwise I would get frustrated mm. and it would put, fill me with sour feelings towards something. And in this yeah. case, it was like water on my back. Like
1: oh, I, I was <laughs> unhappy, and but I know some people who were really truly stressed out about it. So, yeah.
0: yeah, it's it's really in a way it's very much what I said at the beginning of this episode, and it's something that Game of Thrones does a lot. Is they Take bad routes to get to places, but we like where those places where they get to. This is a, a really stark. Ha, I didn't mean that as a fun either, example of that, where they just like the plot was very bad, but it finished very well. We really liked where it ended, but we really didn't like how it got to there. There's a lot of them where mm-hmm. it's like a little lesser. It's like, eh, it was kind of a crappy way to get there. And this was a bad way to get there.
2: <laughs> in, in my opinion, this is this is the symptom of them having no. Coherent source material, mm. and they're, they're they're going off bullet points, and you can almost see the bullet points. Little finger has got to die by in this method, but how do we get there? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so
0: I guess <laughs> another yeah. extension from this too is she can take his face. Yeah, I yeah, that's, that's something a I was, other I was topic. Definitely
3: wondering about is it seems like it would be, she'd be foolish not to take his to save his face. Maybe she and. She she definitely just slit his throat, so his face was fair game, I think.
0: Maybe, uh this is maybe she goes to kill Cersei eventually after all.
3: They're using little face? yeah. I, I could definitely see that. I think it's the pieces are there for the for this to happen for sure. I appreciated in this scene this this um bit of deceit from Sansa is that I thought there was a bit of a parallel between both Sansa and Cersei being deceptive but it's deceptive in a way that tricks the audience <laughs> both cases
0: yeah that's the kind of stuff that, we'll, that you can't really pull off in the books because we're seeing their thoughts like <sighs> you can only you can you only do you can only do so much of like Ned Stark never thinking of Ashara Dane or never thinking of Jon's real identity. You know, like, you could only do so much of that <laughs> before it's like, why doesn't Ned ever think about any of this stuff? <laughs> but never mind that. Here's a cat. <laughs> 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 yeah. This is Casanova. This is the brother of the Siamese cat that we've had on a few times, Xerxes. Mm. They are, They don't look anything alike, but they are brothers. Mm. All right. So... Winterfell in general. Again, we're not, we can't go too deep into what's coming because there's just, it, it will require us to prepare a lot of that. But just think about what we just saw with King's Landing was pretty insane, was terms of characters being in one place. Sandor, Grigor, Cersei, Jaime, Kyber, Davos, Padre, Bronn, Brienne, Danny, Tyrion, John, Masande, Varys, Euron, Theon, and others. Like, I probably missed a few. But that's nothing compared to what we're headed for at Winterfell. I mean, assuming the dead don't get there first, which is entirely possible. But it could be like, woo.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's yes, a lot of people. We still have one question though. Where is Gendry headed from? <laughs> I think it's pretty likely that he's headed for Winterfell. Whether he's leaving Eastwatch or headed with John and Danny or has left for Winterfell from Eastwatch before the attack even happened, I don't know. But. I guess he'll be there too. Mm-hmm.
2: He needs to.
0: He's disappointed that he can't row
2: to Winterfell. <laughs> Not nothing stands between a man and his boat. He's done the landfaring for too long, and he's <laughs> got to get back to his natural environment. I think Winterfell. I made that joke last week. <laughs> Winterfell is nicely inland, so there's no water, unless
0: you're looking at the uh, the uh, the blurb for a Clash of Kings. Remember this from like the uh, late '90s when Clash of Kings was was coming out. It said from the fr- from the blanks of the Dreadfort to the forbidding shore. Shores of Winterfell, like what? Yeah, yeah, the forbidding yeah, shores worse. of Winterfell. <laughs> that thing is as inland as a castle gets. Uh, what are they reading? Are they reading Jojen's prophecies about the uh, sea flooding? The... Okay. I yeah. see a
3: comment here from J-Wear, uh eleven twenty one. Hopefully, there's a Thraki dressed properly for the snow. Yeah, this, is Danny going to need a whole new set of wardrobes for all of her? Men? We
0: have a we have a, a question like a, a question we pulled in advance that relates to oh, that really? directly. Actually, I
3: didn't realize. We'll get that. to that
0: in a, in a little bit. In fact, so that question we'll actually address. Let's talk, um, so yeah, as far as, uh, we got
3: a super chat from Acre Frey, he hasn't written his question, here we go. Historically, when viewpoints converge in the books, people die. The question is, who? Yeah.
0: Yeah, With so many people converging, that is a huge topic.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Of course, a lot of those topic. people aren't POVs, as it happens, but a lot sure. of them are, and a lot of them are POVs that we don't consider. Di- we don't think that will die right then, like Arya, Sansa, Jon, for like right there, Bran. All those mm. conflicts, we're gonna still get the POVs for them. Maybe Arya's gonna leave. Like mm. we speculated on that, but it seems like they're not gonna call those people. Uh, we had another super chat though, unless you guys have something to say. Go ahead. Okay, undying one. Fans of the band Fish, again, Fish comes up, uh, and the song of Ice and Fire are both super detail oriented. Their show history and repertoire are as rich as George's world. Yeah, glad they came up. So that's why they came up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I like Fish. I specifically like Fish food, the Ben and Jerry's
0: uh, flavor. <laughs> Fish fans also, like A Song of Ice and Fire fans, go all over to different places mm-hmm. to talk to each other and hang out with each other, and they speak a language that only uh, each other understands. Yes. Like, we, like you get a group of Ice and Fire people together, and we talk about stuff, and someone listening was like, what the hell yeah. are they talking about? I imagine it's similar for Fish fans. They're just like, there's all these songs and references they make that like no one else oh, would yeah. have any clue what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, before I was
1: in A Song of Ice and Fire nerd, I was a deadhead. And the, it's the, the same. Oh, cool. It's the same sort of group. The same. The same uh, milieu. And you just there is a definitely unique language that no one else understands.
0: So let's talk about uh, the wall, the final shot. So this is what I was talking about at the beginning. Uh, no, there's no way George can. Write something as cool as this dragon looks. He can write things that are more detailed, more depth-oriented, more make you think more. But the visceral pleasure of seeing this amazing undead dragon is something that's really the show is it's in its in its element, you know, really well. So Ashay is pulling up this amazing mm-hmm. shot that I just love so much. Look at that! And that is you can so badass. See the
3: Night King on Viserion. Yeah, it Aziz.
0: Viserion, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so. What did you guys think about the final, final scene here? I was glad at least that Beric and Tormund survived. It would have been kind of an ignominious death for them. But, uh...
3: Yeah, and we can assume they are still alive because they aren't going to die off screen. It's possible they won't make it to Winterfell, or both of them won't make it to Winterfell or Castle Black. But I have to think that at least one of them will.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I mm-hmm. watched again to really double check to where they were. At. They like the wall collapsed right as right outside of where they were going, and they, they got away. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So Lady Gwen, what was what did you were you awe inspired by this? Was this just like you knew it was coming, mm-hmm. but it was still amazing to see it? Or it
1: was, it was amazing, but I was yeah, I was stressed out about Barrack and Torment. I was trying to keep my eyes <laughs> on where the heck they were going and how were they going to get out of this because they were on top of the wall. So it's just like every scene, I was like, wait, where are they now? Um, and I was so sad, so 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 sad um, about Viserion. So um, that was my, it's just mm-hmm. my take was, man, this is gonna be just so one of the saddest things.
3: <laughs> I know, I know. You pointed out, I think it was last week, Lady Gwyn, the "a dragon is no slave" quote, and then we had and Daenerys said actually said saying that. that.
1: Yes, that kind of which make gave you a little hope, little hope maybe.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it made me think that there's some foreshadowing there um, for Vesarian getting uh, claimed by someone mm-hmm. else. Uh, I, there's a couple ways that it could happen that we've had people speculate on. Um, one, can Bran Warg into an undead dragon? Is it possible to skin change that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He mm-hmm. I, I should try. Mm-hmm. Two, if Euron gets a dragon horn of some sort when he goes to Essos, could he take control of an undead dragon? Mm. Two questions I had about it. Three, maybe it just dies. There's no sla- it's no slave, it has to die. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I I hope that someone can take control of the Sarian from the Night King, but I'm I'm I'd say I think the odds are that are pretty low.
0: I would agree. Yoak boy, what about you? What do you think about this scene?
2: About the scene, yeah yeah, it, it was uh it was it was a feast for the eyes, wasn't it? Um mm-hmm. It was Yes, something that's been speculated on so much. You know, let's just assume for one moment that the similar thing happens in the books. I have heard a million ways the wall's going to be breached. No one ever said a dragon in all that time. I never read it. Not until like
0: like a week ago. When once the the undead dragon was raised, the idea came. But before that, I agree. I don't remember ever hearing that ever. Mm
3: That is yeah, that's a super right. Chat that's what real quick. From Bryce Acree. Uh, thanks for a great season to History Westeros and Radio Westeros. I look forward to off-season book content. Right Cheers. On. We do too. I I definitely look forward to book season. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Speaking of book content, we have this quote from Danny For, Clash of Kings, which means House of the Undying from a smoking tower. A great stone beast took wing, breathing shadow fire. Now, I don't see how that's a stone beast, but Obviously the yeah. circumstances in the book should be a lot different. The point is this could be, you know, an und- the same the equivalent in the book, you know. Here's this is, is this is a great beast that took wing and breathes, you know, quote shadow fire. There's no smoking tower, but
3: it is clearly clearly is going to lay down the truth for you. Viserion gets grayscale. The White Walkers yeah. can control people with grayscale. They're also going to control John Connington and all these <laughs> other Pythorine. They're just going to—they're just going to have blue eyes. I actually them.
0: thought of that—that no, grayscale dragon theory. I,
3: I, I did too before. I, I had yeah. the idea that this could happen. I still don't think a dragon could get it.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird to think of a dragon getting grayscale, but the idea that the others can control it because they can control death and grayscale is—is is, you know—is a cousin of the gray death, and it basically is like the power of death. Yeah, yeah it seems kind of high magic, <laughs> but it, i can't throw it away.
3: Super chat from Remy Martin. On a personal note, I hope the Night King makes it to King's Landing so Tyene can come back. <laughs> I picture like a wink wink there. <laughs> I agree.
0: That's right. Night King's I, I Landing, would, right? I
3: honestly would just like to have, not, besides the thing of whether you like Tyene or Alaria or anything like that, I would like to just have resolution for that to know that Alaria isn't just languishing in a prison or for the rest of her life. Because Tyene's dead by now, I'd say.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's another Danny quote here. Lady Gwen, you want to read this one? It's uh, uh, at the end of dance, and it kind of gives us a little bit of perspective on the wall itself.
1: The Next morning, she woke stiff and sore and aching, with ants crawling on her arms and legs and face. When she realized what they were, she kicked aside the stalks of dry brown grass that had served as her bed and blanket and struggled to her feet. She had bites all over her, little red bumps, itchy and inflamed. Where did all the ants come from? Danny brushed them from her arms and legs and belly. She ran a hand across her stubbly scalp where her hair had burned away and felt more ants on her head and one crawling down the back of her neck. She knocked them off and crushed them under her bare feet. There were so many. It turned out that their anthill was on the other side of her wall. She wondered how the ants had managed to climb over it and find her. To them, these tumble-down stones must loom as huge as the Wall of Westeros." Yeah,
0: that's a great quote. It really relates strongly. Maybe it's hard to exactly connect how these, you know, this could show us what's going to happen with the wall in the books. It doesn't exactly tell us that, but, you know, it it kind of shows us maybe that it's coming. It's coming close. You know, obviously it's coming. (laughs) The wall's got to come down, right, or at least got to be breached like this. So maybe, though, this is an interesting point. Maybe this leads us to believe that in the books the wall will just be breached like this and not completely collapse like all the way through like the horn bringing it down entirely. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that we can really glean that from this, but it's certainly possible because obviously showing the entire wall coming down on TV would be expensive. Yeah. And kind of, what and who would be seeing it, it, that? It, it,
3: like, yeah, entire wall coming down is a huge catastrophe and a level besides the lights and White Walkers getting through. Yeah. Assuming it melts, which I guess it wouldn't melt, but either way, it, it would cause huge, yeah. huge uh, issues. I think. It wouldn't melt,
0: yeah, it wouldn't melt in the short term, I guess, because yeah, winter term, is so overwhelming but, uh, right Even now.
3: that, I wonder, like, I want that, like, that much that it is, like, would that cause an earthquake? Plake, like in a certain region, no, like, no. I don't know what it caused. No, That'd be no. interesting. <laughs> so we got a super chat though from Dornish Dan, uh, who said, "Joining in, thanks to History Westeros and Radio Westeros for enhancing the GOT season seven. Also, looking forward to post-season episodes." Thank, Thank you very Dornish much, Dornish Dan. Dan. Appreciate that. All your super Thank chats. Thank you. The season. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah all all the
2: super chats. chats, all the support. Thank you. All the new subscribers that that have come over and subscribed to us. That that means a lot. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a great season
0: for us on that side of things, and we're very appreciative. It's a wonderful thing about this fandom. We're very happy to be doing what we're doing. You guys all are making it possible. So we have a lot of questions, so we're not going to be able to get to very many of them. I was afraid of that, but you know that's how it goes. This is there's a lot to cover. It was a twenty you know twenty minute extra episode, the season finale. That's just a lot to cover. Some of the questions we sort of incidentally answered. Mm -hmm. Well, we can still do a couple of them. One thing I wanted to bring up really quick: where the path of the undead is going right and they're gonna i guess they're gonna go to the first thing in their path would be the umber lands and maybe karstark maybe then they'll go to winterfell but there's more people at white harbor so it's kind of hard to say but something to think about we won't go into that right now but just i want to throw that out there for uh for people to think about and for us to talk about some other time do you guys have any Characters that you're inst- immediately worried about? Like, we usually do our Worry of the Week. Yeah, this fine. is kind of the worry of in-between seasons.
3: Same thing I've had every week. <laughs> Yara. Yara, I'm, yeah. I'm worried about her. Oh. I don't think she's done for. Go on.
2: Okay, I think uh, my pick is Daenerys for the for the end game. Um You know, if it's going to be a Nissa Nissa character, I, I, I would say that she she's favorite, in my opinion, which is very divisive, but... D- I did a poll and it was almost 50-50. People agreeing and hating the idea. So there you go. <laughs>
1: All
0: right.
2: Well,
1: <laughs>
2: Lady Gwen, any uh, thoughts on that? Are you worried about
1: Jamie or
0: anything? Anybody else, maybe? Braun or...
1: I'm kind of worried. I mean, i worried about everybody. I think, um, you know, <laughs> Barrick, I mean, uh, I'm not sure I'm that invested in Beric, but I'm pretty sure he's... He's doomed, not now, but he's got some appointment with the Night's King, um, worried about yeah. Sandor, and um, pretty much everyone who's not the people, you know, John and Sansa, Arya, and Bran, I expect to survive. I, but I think everyone else is, is on my list of worries as we get closer <laughs> to the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: OK, so what I think we'll do with the rest of these questions is we already talked about having more to talk about, you know, in future live streams in our wrap up episode. So I'm going to save all these questions. I got questions from Jeremy Tomasulo, George DeGolden, Golden, Galea, Jeff Gnarly, Lady Bird, U.S. Navy Dave, Anthony Gonzalez, Ellen Evans, Lady Jane Celtigar, Ryan Bonnet and plenty more. So you got y'all this is like two or three episodes in a row where we haven't gotten to nearly all the questions we wanted to. And uh, I guess what can what we happens. say? What happens?
3: The show gets longer, and we get more fans, and it just happens. I but guess.
0: but we will take these questions later. We will. We have plenty of more postseason coverage to come, even as our book coverage is resuming. So we'll get these questions in there, and <laughs> we can base. You know, we <laughs> can, can start just, with some of them next time. Can I just
3: say real quick? Uh, Juan Felipe Mendez pointed out that did you notice they were all in King's Landing, and nobody said anything about Ilaria. <laughs> like, they, didn't yeah. ask about
2: her. they didn't even ask about her they just figured she was dead or
0: yeah,
3: yeah. I guess it's too
2: bad do, do you think at the end of the story <laughs> everyone will be dead and Ellaria will climb out of King's Landing and say what the hell's <laughs> happened
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay so again I want to remind everybody
0: that we have more live streams coming soon we're going to have a variety of guests we're going to have Radio Westeros back as much as possible maybe from time to time and going forward we'll be making announcements as far as that goes. So y'all, let everybody know where to find you and remind everybody about your new episode.
2: Yeah, we got an episode on the War of the Five Kings. It's a good, beefy episode about the politics, the drama, the characters. It's got an advert from Walder Frey, so come and check it out. Um thanks for b- being with us through the season it, you know it's been great to be on the show thanks to you as and you as Shea, for inviting us and all you're watching us it's been great thank you yeah you're welcome we wouldn't wouldn't
0: think of doing it without you guys it's this just <laughs> now how we do it radio westeros and history of westeros covering the show it's just how we do it <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh yeah, uh, it's a great coverage this season. I'm glad I was in all of the episodes last year. I I skipped some for multiple reasons. Yeah, it's great to have you back full time. Which yeah. is my turn. Sean gets to plug his Twitter account all the time, and Aziz told me I should plug mine as well. I'm at Mir, he's not. <laughs> not the sexual position. But the actual book problem, I had it before the sexual position. And <laughs>
2: that must have been a nightmare for it you. Was, it was
3: hilarious, actually. I had just switched <laughs> to that username within the last year of that happening. And then they said it. And I was like, well, they, they said it. And then I got all these people that asked me if I was referencing the sexual position. I was like, No. But I, I, I do like to picture George's face every time he sees me comment on his not a blog. He's like, ah, that Murney's not. I hate that thing. Why are you reminding me about that? Uh. Um,
0: yeah. So we, one person is asking. At least a couple people asking if we're streaming this weekend. We're not streaming this weekend because we're going to DragonCon, which is here in town. We yeah. live in the same so. city as DragonCon. We have people visiting can, Game of Owns, We yeah. have Haley Bowery from the Manimals here. We have some other people coming. Kyle from Azor a-, 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 a Hype is coming. Almost Jank's, said your Ky-
3: Dragon Rider. Yeah.
0: I almost uh, said Azor Ape.
3: Oh, it Azor Ape. Azor A-Hype, that's weird. But, uh, so yeah, we'll be very busy with that this weekend. But if you're going to be at Dragon Con, you can send us an email. Or uh, what will be best is, during the convention, Aziz and I will be tweeting... What what we're doing there, and yeah. so you can just contact us through Twitter, and we can meet up somewhere.
0: We'll probably be going to the Game of Thrones party on Friday. That's not a sure thing, but we'll probably be going to that. And then there's a uh, Game of Thrones photo shoot on Saturday. We might show up for that just to see just who to else is there. See
3: them. And so those are
0: those are good places to try to find us. But yeah. we don't have like a panel or anything, so we can't exactly name a spot we'll be.
3: I will be at all the dark crystal panels I can get to. Cool. But uh, looks like we, we got, got another super chat. chat. Yeah. Yeah. From quote music. Do you think there were any hints in Season 7 as to how Stannis' arc will conclude in the books? It's an interesting question. Uh, I, well, I would say... Y- yeah, my...
2: by its absence. Yeah, his absence. <laughs> I
3: think that's true. <laughs> I, I think that is true. But I would go... I would also say... We were talking a little bit about Grayscale, and our, I, I can't help but, but think of Shireen as tied to Stannis' Stark, obviously, Grayscale. I, I, maybe I have some thoughts on that.
0: It does confirm, or at least not confirm, it does point to something that's been long, that's a theory that I've agreed with for a long time. I think the first person I, I saw to make this theory was Stephen Atwell of Race for the Iron Throne, who was a, a guest for our Blackfire Rebellion episodes. He, maybe someone else came up with the idea before him, or maybe he just favors it. Either way, the theory is that Stannis... Will sacrifice Shireen in Winterfell when he's, you know, after he's taken Winterfell back from the Boltons and he's holding it for the North and the White Walkers come and he's besieged there and that's when he'll sacrifice Shireen and that is still in play very much because as we see in the show, everyone's converging on Winterfell, all these armies that are going to go fight the dead are converging at Winterfell, so the the book the book version of this could be Stannis still kind of leading the northern effort. You know, maybe John's not there yet, or maybe I don't know. Maybe John is there, but he doesn't know who he is yet. So Stannis is still kind of running things, and uh, that this could be how we get to that point in the show where he sacrifices his daughter. And then after that, I don't know what comes after that. But you could, so yes, there are some clues, and there's probably some more. But yeah, honestly, I haven't, I haven't thought about Stannis too much in terms of this year's season, but. I do think about Stannis a lot still.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Every night, I, I look over and I'm like, "Zeez, what what's on your mind?" And you're like, "Stannis Baratheon, one true king." I'm just.
0: Um... Just just daydreaming about the one, you know.
3: Uh, t- uh, super Chat from Undying One. Worried about George. He says he loses interest in the story if he has to plan it too much. That, the show, and the pressure of finishing, I don't see it. Well, you're much more pessimistic about this than I am.
0: I, I agree with what you're saying. that He, yeah, he has yeah. said those things, no, but I don't has. think he's going to not finish it. I think it's no. that's part of his struggle, but I don't think he's going to just give up on it. Yeah, that seems a little far-fetched. Yeah. Because and,
3: I mean, you can... You can we've seen him in person a few times and he clearly still is passionate about it he's he's excited and interested and happy about these things it can be hard to write but I I think he still cares about it yeah he
0: still loves like he still loves going to conventions and hanging out with people he's still very much a down to earth guy and I don't think that you know I still think he's and he's a good guy like he's a decent person you know so I don't think he would leave everybody hanging like that Um, but we'll see obviously nobody can predict the future we're not Mm -hmm. we're not Nostradamus here (laughs) Um, hopefully we get we all get what we want so let's uh, let's give thanks to everybody. Thanks again to Radio Estrus for being with us all season and for future lo- lo- off-season live streams and perhaps guest appearances on each other's scripted episodes. We did talk about our dan- plan to do the Dance of the Dragons together. That's uh, you know we're still very early in the planning stages of that, but it'll happen eventually. Um, thanks, of course, to Ashea for all her production work, which is of course ongoing. Thanks to our friend Michael Clarfeld for the video intro and which we also use as an outro. <laughs> thanks to Joey Townsend and uh, Jesse Koval for our music. Thanks to our chat mods, uh, Ella Mel and Snow and Winterfell and Eliana and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Is, are they, are we Jinx have other chat mods. Jinx is
3: there too, but she's not there right now. Oh, yeah, Jinx
0: is the chat she mod. Sure. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see her today, so thanks to Jinx as well. And yeah, so we appreciate that because the you know there's always one or two trolls. We usually don't have very many. We had one particularly active troll we today. did. He just kept changing his name and coming back after being banned. Like but hey, really
3: weird insult. Very weird well, insults. All I gotta say, dude, if you wanna be a troll, you better get your insults a little better. She kept saying, "I
0: sha nail, but you don't bite your nails." I
3: don't bite my nails. It's true. <laughs> I do not, absolutely do not bite my nails. I do. I do. <laughs> that said, I think it's a fine habit to have, not a something worth insulting.
0: Yeah, it's not exactly very demeaning. He's like, you nail, I'm, I'm not insulted by that. I'm like, yeah, I bite my nails sometimes, so.
2: <laughs> you have some really uh, nice people in your chat, you know. There's one troll, and it gives yeah. everyone a bad name, but I've been in the chat, and they're, they're all really nice guys and gals out there. Someone asked,
0: why do they only read questions to people who donate? Well, we don't, but frankly, we get so many questions we don't we have, have time lately. to answer all the of past,
3: them. The past two weeks, we have almost entirely done that because you guys are giving us so many super chats that like, by the time we answer all those, we get through our content. We're at three hours, and we can't answer the questions that we've collected, and we have been collecting questions, but, which is why we're going to do another stream next week yeah. and we'll get to more of those. But previous weeks, we definitely... Th- these two episodes were just longer. It was harder for us to get yeah. through it. There was more to talk about. We have
0: answered a ton of yeah. non-paid questions. Yeah, we yeah.
3: have. Just, but We're not going to
0: ignore paid but questions. But again...
3: <laughs> If, if you want your question answered, this goes, again, I've said it many, many times, send us an email. And even then, it's not a guarantee, but it's a lot more likely than me managing to see your chat in the yeah. quickly moving chat. It's
0: mostly a logistical thing. I mean, there are tons of chat messages flying by constantly. We can't just see them. Yeah. So. But
3: we also got a super chat right then from Jill Wright. I don't see a question attached, Jill, but thank you so much for that.
0: Yes. Certainly, if you send us a question yeah. later, we'll answer it on a future stream. So also thanks to our patrons, as I often do lately. I grab a few names of people who don't have regular shout-outs because I really like the names and because I want everyone to get in there every once in a while. Today I grabbed a batch of uh, mostly of people who are at the Maester or Archmaester level who the big draw there is access to our scripts. And if you want more information on our Patreon levels, just go to patreon.com and go to the History of Westeros page and or the Radio Westeros page. We have a variety of, of things that we give in addition to shout outs. It's not just about that. So thanks to Archmaster June of the Wicklow Hills, Healer of the Lesser Poxes. <laughs> thanks to Weaver of the Broken Syllable, Lord of Bull's Meadow. Thanks to Gregorio Alinovich, Maester of Moths. Thanks to Silver Tom Rivers, the Bastard Bard of Blackwood, which is kind of hard to say fast. Thanks to Thomas the Listener, Maester of Tongues. Thanks to Lady Tracy of House Silverscales. Motto, justice for all. Thanks to Matthew, the Muddy Maester, and he's named so because his chain is so long that he trips over it and falls into the mud. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Maester-in-Exile Meredith, Sage of the Jade Sea. And thanks to our Hand of the King, that is the mysterious B.R.,
3: We have my Hand of the Queen, Lord Michael Valerian, Knight of High Tide, and Guardian of the DeLorean, Hand of the Queen.
0: Right on. Also, Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned, holder of the left-handed Valerian shears called Penance, and Hand of the Beard. We have Sir Valentin of House to Gen, creator of the Game of Predictions, which is a fun free futures market for predicting Game of Thrones Thrones theories and, and outcomes. It's a lot of fun. I checked it out recently and made some predictions and picks. Thanks to Charlotte Ostra, Corsair Queen of the Western Shivering Sea, commander of the Briny Fleet, whose flagship is the barnacle-encrusted, violet-hulled mercenaria. She carries the nacre-inlaid shucking-blade crass lover. Thanks to Lord Jim, the fortuitous of wars and politics of ice and fire, Uh, Warden of the West, also the host of the Two-Wage War podcast, which I recommend. Thanks to Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad, and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is... Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord Osborne is of Castle Werewood, Spreading the Old Gods by Planting Werewood Saplings in the Reach, Stormlands and Crownlands. Motto, Our Roots Run Deep. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones in the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet consisting of the Narrow Fleet, led by Flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet, led by Flagship Prince Damon. The small council is led by Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, Grand Maester Surya of the Barrows, Cinder of the Citadel, Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin, Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws, Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, Wielder of the Valyrian bla- steel blade Fate, Our Queen's High Council
3: uh, is... Lady Jane of House Saltagar, the Emerald of the Evening, Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe, Painkiller, Mistress of Sea Eagles, Mistress of Ships, Lady Mai of House Swan, Mistress of Whisperers, Elia of Upstate, Master of Coin, Grand Maester M. Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, First Lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel link, and Lady E.S. Master of Laws, who will have a longer title very shortly.
0: Yes, we're working on that one. Uh, several people haven't gotten their nicknames yet. We've been we've gotten a lot of new patrons wanting nicknames, and I can only do so many in a day or so. Uh, uh, don't have that much creative energy, but so I apologize to anyone who's waiting for a nickname. But we are we will be getting to those few who are left. Uh, as these uh, next few days pass, mm-hmm. thanks to Grand Master Clark, Protector of Wisdom and Beards, on the Council of the Beard. Thanks to our Kingsguard, led by Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Tor team. Thanks to our Lords and Ladies in their castles, including Lady Diarlies of Castle Nyaki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone, Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges, Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Bread Fort. Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter of the Hawks Eye is Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whittaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemi Snugglebunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, Holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Black Rune is sworn Ailsmith to House Stark, Grandmaster of the Zistamanser's Guild, and Keeper of the Buzz. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort Fort, and the Freelands, Last Scion of Clan McCulloch, motto Strength and Courage. The Bastard of Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, and sworn to House Ironwarewood, whose motto is Listen for the Silence. Conor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. We also have our Queen's Guard.
3: We have Lord. Com- Lord Captain Commander Hema Helmand, the Sellsword Sentinel. Lady Nymeria of House Sea Purtle. Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Doom, I must not fear. Fear is the Mind Killer. Jane Grey, Lady Esk of the Tattered Spire, First Sword of Albion. Brian, the Pest of Rule, And Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North.
0: I see a chat here, someone saying we get, a, we get thousands of emails. We don't actually get thousands of emails. We just got about a thousand emails on the giveaway, yeah, on yeah, the Westeros yeah. history giveaway. We don't actually get thousands of emails with questions. Yeah. We just get yeah. more like dozens or maybe <laughs> the occasional uh, 50 or something. But <laughs> We can easily get through our emails. That's not, a, not not nearly as much of a problem. Our beard guard is led by Lord Commander George the Golden. Backed by Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak, and Lady Rita of the Copper Main, the Unbound the dance of the fervor. We have two new Beard Guard who have not gotten names yet, so that's filling up quickly. Only two slots left. And last but certainly not least, we have our History of Westeros Knights Watch, which is led by Lord Commander Danira Flint of the Knight Fort, avenging the memory of Brave Danny. We have First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield. We have First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom. And first steward, Sir Jurian of the Torrentine, called Palewind.
4: Hmm.
0: All right, folks, that does it. We will be back soon. If you are jonesing for more content, go catch me on Rawrist Stream, which is already started. I'm going to oh. be jumping on there in a few minutes. Oh, okay. So I'm going to take a short break and then get on there. But you'll see me on there soon. If you, some of you guys are probably already checking it out.
3: <laughs> but, As, As-, As- Frey said, now Aziz can make a power play by being late. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great to leave this
0: on I'm gonna enter like Danny, I gotta ride my dragon into that stream <laughs> it's funny I have a ton of Game of Thrones shirts but I don't think I have a single dragon shirt I guess I can't uh, ride in that way. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Anyway, thank you all again very, very much for being with us. And please come back. Oh, excuse me. Please come back for our future live streams. We will keep the fun rolling. I love hanging out with you guys. I love seeing all the fun stuff happening in the comment box, even if I can't read it all because I'm busy, you know, podcasting. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a great season. We'll keep it going. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks again to Radio Westeros. Thanks again to Ashaya. Until next time, Valar... Rewatch us, Valar, reread us.